Let's go ahead here and get started on Saturday, September 11th, 2021. It is BK here. Please follow me for breaking news throughout the week at Bravo Kilo Actual on Twitter and check out my Instagram at BK Actual as we get started here from San Diego, California, 11.45 a.m. And of course, yes, it is the 20th anniversary of the September 11th attacks. Hard to believe, and it is 20 years after those four hijacked passengers' jets slammed into the World Trade Center, the Pentagon, and a field in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. And that would be the deadliest attack in United States history. Uh, of course, what can you say about it? You know, the world, uh, that, that attack single-handedly changed not only the United States, but the world. Uh, we went to war over it, uh, ultimately ending with over 170,000 lives lost in Afghanistan alone, and that's more than 2,400 of them Americans. And the actual 9-11 attacks themselves, we lost 2,977 people from more than 90 countries on that day, September 11th. 2001, uh, there are ceremonies ongoing as I speak, of course, at all four of those locations. And just on a personal note, I do recall vividly that day, and I know many of you listening, it shaped so many of us, you know, and, and now we're the old guys, it, it, but it made, uh, it made us want to join the military, get in a fight. We kind of had that sense of rage. We wanted to do some payback. And I remember I was working, just on a personal note, I was working in Los Angeles at the time. I was a young salesman, and I remember exactly, because I'm on West Coast time, right? And the attacks were like, uh, what, 8.45-ish in the morning, East Coast time. So I was asleep when they actually happened, and I did not look at the television at all, and I was getting up to go about my day. And I was just checking my phone as I'm driving away from my apartment in the Hollywood Hills of California, and I remember getting a message from my mom, and she's like, can you believe what's going on? This is horrible. There's so many people. Imagine so many people dead. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And I pulled up to a Starbucks right there, and they had a television, and that's when I saw what was going on, and I was just in, in complete disbelief. And uh, almost immediately, I know my brother was an infantry officer in the United States Marine Corps at the time. They started recalling everybody. And it just made me want to get in a fight and be like, yeah, I can't sit here on the sidelines and do it. So that's when I started looking into various uh, jobs in the military and ultimately culminating with me joining the United States Air Force pararescue teams. But I know for a lot of you guys listening, especially you guys who are now, what, in your you know, mid to late 30s, early 40s even, that was just a huge event in your lives. And it definitely changed my life, and it changed so many lives. Um, I, I don't really know what else to say about that. I will say that I, in preparing for the podcast this morning, I was going through, and I, and I knew the takes were going to be bad, because every fucking year on September 11th, there's always a take. Similar along the lines of, oh, well, yeah, 9-11 was bad, but what about uh, systemic racism or something stupid like that? Like, can we just have the fucking one day where we remember the lives lost and the enormous uh, societal and geopolitical implications that happened from that day. I mean, I'm just, it just freaking blows my mind. And if you guys saw me on Instagram this morning, I was posting up at BK Actual on Instagram some of the horrible 9 11 takes. And they're even worse this year because this is the 20th anniversary, and especially with COVID, because everybody's comparing it to COVID. 
And I'm like, yeah, an 83-year-old dying with pneumonia and cancer and COVID in the hospital is not the same as a 23-year-old guy uh, jumping out of a burning building to save himself and, and dying or the, the, the almost 3,000 people getting blown to smithereens and the tens of thousands of Americans who throughout the wars we embarked on were mutilated, maimed, scarred for life mentally, physically, dying in battle. So, I, you know, it's not the friggin' same. And stop comparing everything to 9-11. God, it was driving me nuts. And I actually, a lot of you guys are like, dude, keep them coming, keep them coming. I'm like, yeah, I got to prep for the podcast here. You know, I don't have time. And I was getting so many of them because I was on Twitter this morning at Bravo Kilo Actual. And I was like, hey, send me your horrible September 11th takes. And a lot of you guys did. And, and, they're, and they're still piling in as I speak. Like I said, I just don't have time to prepare for them. But I did want to play this clip that I found from former President George W. Bush, who apparently felt that the 20th anniversary of the worst terrorist attacks on American soil uh, called for him to talk about domestic extremists and compare them to the Islamist terrorists. So let's listen to a little bit of President the Bush. security measures incorporated into our lives are both sources of comfort and reminders of our vulnerability. And we have seen growing evidence that the dangers to our country can come not only across borders, but from violence that gathers within. There is little cultural overlap between violent extremists abroad and violent extremists at home. But in their disdain for pluralism, in their disregard for human life, in their determination to defile national symbols, they are children of the same foul spirit, and it is our continuing duty to confront them. Okay, you know what? What the fuck does that have to do with Islamic terrorists <laughs> murdering thousands of Americans? Like, you know what I'm saying? Everybody's got to use this as a springboard to go off on their own, like, little pet uh, crusade. George W. Bush. God. Man, what a fucking dope that guy is. But anyway, guys, that's uh, September 11th. What more is to be said? You know, it's, uh, I know, and I know some of you guys listening right now, you weren't even born yet when it happened. But uh, like I said, I know for those of you who were around that that morning, you'll never forget where you are. And I indeed, I doubt many of us will. All right, let us move on to our international news. And I thought I would start with Guinea, Africa. And this kind of slipped through the radar a little bit, but there's basically been a coup in the country of Guinea, which, if you didn't know, is a West African country. And it seems like there has been a coup because the head of Guinea's special forces announced on state television that the Constitution, government, and every institution in the country are now dissolved. And if this lasts, Guinea will become the third West African country to experience a violent transfer of power in the past five months. Because in April... As covered here on this podcast, the president who had ruled Chad for three decades was killed on the battlefield and replaced by his son, and academics are calling that a coup. And then in May, Mali's vice president arrested the president, prime minister, and defense minister in that country's second coup in only nine months. So what about this one? Well, this happened last Sunday. And it came barely a year after the president, a guy named Alpha Conde, won a contentious third term after changing the Constitution, 
which allowed him to stay in power beyond the two-term presidential limit. So they decided they had enough of this guy. And then Colonel Mamadi Daumboya, the special forces head that I had mentioned, appeared on that state television. He had Guinea's national flag draped around his shoulders. And he said it was, quote, the duty of a soldier to save the country, end quote. Of course, this is not the first time Guinea has had a coup. Before Condé became the country's first democratically elected leader in 2010, there had been two other military takeovers, one in 1984 and one in 2008. So the colonel said he and his men had seized the president and the UN Secretary General, who, by the way, is Antonio Guterres, has called for Condé's release. And he said on Twitter, did Guterres, I strongly condemn any takeover of the government by force of the gun. So as far as Colonel Damboya, he said he was acting in response to the people's will and to confront poverty and endemic corruption. Uh, borders, both land and air, have been closed. And the colonel says the Constitution would be written in consultation with all Guineans. Uh, would you pronounce that Guineans or Ghanaians? Probably Guineans. Let me go with that. Uh, let's see. Anything about this? Well, other vi uh, other videos, and you guys probably saw some of this on social media, showed Guineans taking to the street in celebration and military vehicles moving through the city of Conakry, accompanied by dozens of motorcycles. So it uh, remains to be seen how long this is going to last. Now, that election I mentioned in Guinea last year was violent. Dozens of people died in clashes between supporters of the government and those of the opposition. And shortly before the election, the president, Conde, had accused the opposition leader, a guy named Salo Dalayan Diallo, of trying to recruit mercenaries to attack Guinea. So then Condé closed the border, preventing many people living abroad from returning to cast their vote. I, don't know, I guess they don't do the fucking mail ballot. A little bit about this colonel. He's a former member, by the way, of the French Foreign Legion. And he also received training at what they call Flintlock. What is Flintlock? That is the United States military's biggest annual exercise in Africa. So... In addition to that, you might have seen some videos of the, when the trucks are rolling through that city. You might have seen some American Special Forces guys in the trucks with them. And the American Green Berets were training local forces in Guinea last weekend when they kind of peeled away to sort... It's hard to... Like, did they aid in the coup? The coup? Coup? Well, it's hard to say, but gunfire was ringing out as these Guinean special forces units stormed the presidential palace in the capital, and that is, Conakry is the capital of Guinea. And then they deposed 83-year-old Alpha Conde. So that team of about a dozen Green Berets have been in Guinea since mid-July to train about 100 soldiers in a special forces unit led by Colonel Domboya and... Again, he took part in American military exercises. So it's weird because the U.S. has condemned the coup 
and the military, our military, has denied having any advance knowledge of it. But this is seen as kind of an embarrassment to the Pentagon because, again, the U.S. has trained troops in many African nations, uh, mostly for counterterrorism, but also to support civilian-led governments. So the question remains, well, what are our soldiers doing in the parade, the celebratory convoy of the rebels who just staged a coup? So very interesting. I'm sure there's not a lot. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot we don't know. And although numerous U.S. trained officers have seized power in their countries in Africa before, uh, most notably the the big guy was General Abdel Fattah El Sisi of Egypt. But this is believed to be the first time one U.S. trained African officer has done so in the middle of an American military course. So according to the New York Times, on Sunday, once the Green Berets realized a coup was underway, they drove straight to the United States Embassy, which is in the capital of Conakry, and the training program was suspended. A spokeswoman for the U.S. Africa Command said the coup is, quote, inconsistent with U.S. military training and education, end quote. Uh, That's funny. Uh, Anything else about this here? Oh, here we go. I want to know about this video footage. Uh, The discomfort of U.S. officials over their proximity to the coup plotters was made worse by video footage circulating in recent days that showed smiling American military officers and a crowd of those joyous Guineans on September 5th, which was the day of the coup. And you kind of saw some of the Americans, like, you know, high-fiving them and stuff like that. And so that uh, they had to push back and... They did confirm that the video showed Green Berets returning to the U.S. Embassy, but denied that it implied Pentagon support for the coup. So there you go. And by the way, the hour-long gun battle outside that presidential palace when they, when they basically toppled the president killed at least 11 people. So anything else about this? Yeah, he's, uh, like I said, he's very well-trained. Not only the French Foreign Legion, but also ours. And uh, he is also married to a French military police officer. And he is also a French citizen and graduated in defense studies from a university in Paris. So there you go. Now you guys know more about fucking the African coup than anybody in the United States. Let's keep going here. How about a new leader in Lebanon? Uh, a billionaire telecommunications tycoon has become the prime minister of Lebanon, and his name is Najib Mekati. And he has taken the reins of Lebanon for the third time in a country that has been without a government for more than a year. And if you guys have been listening, you know that Lebanon has been going into this kind of economic black hole. But the formation of Mr. Mekati's cabinet was announced from the presidential palace after... Makati and President Michel Aoun signed a decree to make it official in the presence of the Speaker of the Parliament. So he didn't read prepared remarks, Makati. He actually just delivered an off-the-cuff speech. He summarized the suffering of the Lebanese, and he called for unity to pull the country out of the crisis. He appeared to be choking up while he was doing it. Now, Lebanon is suffering through an economic collapse that the World Bank has said could rank among the three worst in the world since the mid-1800s. How about that? Since fall of 2019, 
the Lebanese national currency has lost more than 90% of its value against the dollar. Unemployment has spread. Businesses have closed. Prices have skyrocketed. Of course, COVID is in the background of all of this. Now, Lebanon was without a fully empowered government since August of last year when Prime Minister Hassan Diab and his entire cabinet resigned after that huge explosion in the Beirut port. You guys remember that? That killed more than 200 people. And just as a refresher, that was caused by the sudden combustion of 2,750 tons of hazardous chemicals that had been unloaded into the port years before and then just left there to sit and rot. Makati has served as prime minister twice before, most recently from June 2011 to May 2013. So there you go, and that is your Lebanon update. Let us go to Israel, where a jailbreak happened. Uh, Yeah, that's right. Six Palestinians escaped an Israeli prison. This was the first such jailbreak in more than two decades. So these six Palestinians broke free at approximately 1 o'clock in the morning after removing a layer of flooring underneath a cell in the Gilboa prison. This is just southwest of the Sea of Galilee. This is according to, this is funny, according to the prison service commissioner, Katy Perry. How about that? Katy Perry's running the uh, Israeli jail, apparently. Well... They broke through that layer of flooring, and then they accessed a cavity beneath the prison, and that is how they were able to escape. So the prison service says five of the men were members of the Palestinian Islamic Jihad, a militant Islamist group, while the sixth is a guy named Zachariah Zubedi, was a former commander of the Aqsa Martyrs Brigades, That is a militant group loosely associated with Fatah, the secular party that dominates the Palestinian Authority. So four of the six guys had been convicted of terror offenses and were serving at least two life sentences. Legal proceedings for the other two, including the Aqsa Martyrs Brigade guy, had yet to be completed. So the jailbreak, of course, prompted a large-scale manhunt and... They did uh, manage to, I'll get to that in a minute. They have since captured a a few of them, but I'll get to the details of that in a moment. But these fugitives, this is like seen as a huge propaganda victory by several Palestinian groups. They saw their escape as a symbolic challenge to Israeli occupation. And in a statement, the Secretary General of Islamic Jihad, a guy named Ziad al-Nakala, said that the fugitives, quote, Teach us that anything is possible with strong will and patience and that defeating the enemy is closer than ever. End quote. And that's a spot on impression. The prisoners were among approximately 5,000 Palestinians detained in Israeli jails and most of them are there for militant activity. Uh, Oh, interesting. The Israeli authorities also hold the corpses of several dozen Palestinian detainees, declining to release them for burial in order to deter other militants Hmm. and as a means of exerting pressure on Hamas, which is believed to hold the corpses of two slain Israeli soldiers. And over the course of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, which, as you know, has gone on for many decades, Israel has exchanged thousands of Palestinian prisoners and bodies for a few dozen Israeli prisoners and bodies, so that's, I guess, why they're holding on to these corpses. Let's see what these guys do. 
or what they did exactly? Well, the Zubaydi guy, the Moxa Ar- uh, Aksa martyr guy, he had been released with, in an amnesty in 2007, but then he became a prominent militant leader in that second intifada, the uprising during the early 2000s, uh, mid-2000s, I should say, and he became one of Israel's most wanted fugitives because in that uprising, about 1,000 Israelis were killed and roughly 3,000 Palestinians, including, according to Zubidi, his mother and brother. So after being granted clemency, he renounced violence and turned to political theater. He became a leader of the Freedom Theater in Jenin. But then in 2011, the Israeli news media reported that his amnesty had been revoked. And then in 2012, he was detained for several months by the Palestinian Authority. But then he was rearrested in 2019 by the Israeli authorities who had accused him of returning to militancy. So a lot going on there. So as I said, they have, according to the latest update, which was uh, updated today, the Israeli police said that they have captured four of the six Palestinian fugitives. Uh, so this is important to them, obviously, because this was a big humiliation to Israeli's security establishment. So two of the prisoners were captured Friday night last night on the southern edge of Nazareth in northern Israel. And a second pair were seized this morning in a truck parking lot in a village east of Nazareth. And the Israeli authorities were sure that, you know, they did a big perp walk, you know, to save some face. They uh, published video showing the prisoners handcuffed inside police cars, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Israeli news outlets reported that the, uh, some, at least two of these guys had been arrested after a tip by Nazareth residents who said they had been asking for food. So there are two other fugitives still at large. And they are both members of the Islamic Jihad. One guy is named Aham Kamamji. He was serving a life sentence for kidnapping and killing an Israeli teenager named Eliyahu Asheri. While the other one is Munadil Nafayat. He has been imprisoned without charge since 2019. So there you go. Okay, it is September 11th, and of course, you guys know, throughout the years, I've uh, periodically re-engaged with the fucking embarrassment of the 9-11 trial down there in Guantanamo. That's right, it still has yet to begin. <laughs> and I've often decried our silly justice system. We just should have dumped these guys in a fucking ocean like decades ago. But that's right, the 9-11 case is... Supposed to get going, but then it has also now been halted again. Uh, let's see what happened here. Well, let's see. Guards did lead the five men on trial accused of plotting the September 11th tax, including Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. He's accused of being the mastermind of the plot into the courtroom on Tuesday. And that was the first time since the pandemic halted the pre-trial proceedings. And... Uh, a lawyer for Khalid Sheikh Mohammed had just begun to question the new judge, who's a guy named Colonel Matthew McCall, about the circumstances of his assignment to the case when a prosecutor named Clayton Trivett Jr. announced that the U.S. Court of Military Commission Review had issued a 23-page ruling on a challenge to the Military Commission judge selection process. 
So then Colonel McCall recessed the hearing until Wednesday to give the lawyers the rest of the view to re rest of the day to review the decision. Oh my God. So now plans to begin the trial this year. They've given up on that. Now they think they might start it in 2022. Khalid Sheikh Mohammed's last court appearance was in February of 2020. He hasn't, he's the guy with the orange dyed beard. Yeah, this week's hearings were preliminary in nature, but of course, because of the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks, uh, they took on extra significance. And remember, the, the big thing has been the, they keep replacing the judges. The previous judge retired at the start of the pandemic, and then they had the pandemic, and prosecutors worked for more than a year to get virus protections in place. Jesus How hard is it? You really, it took you over a year. To figure out fucking masks and social distancing? Didn't we all fucking know that like a year and a half ago? Good Lord. Um, and a lot of this uh, is being argued by the defense, who, by the way, I read that all the lawyers are like American guys, the defense lawyers. Imagine that. Imagine putting that in your resume. Like, yeah, yeah, here's my... Oh, by the way, I defended Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. But the defense is arguing they want a lot of this evidence thrown out because they argue a lot of it is tainted by the CIA's torture of the prisoners uh, before their transfer to Guantanamo Bay. Like they got to Guantanamo Bay in Labor Day weekend of 06. But before that, they basically were locked down at black sites for like three, four years, something like that. And that's when we were waterboarding the shit out of them and stuff like that. So, yes. Uh, I don't even really want to, I don't really want to go through all this because it's so just, it's so fucking weird. Like, here's a detail. The judge required that everyone in the courtroom wear masks, but granted himself an exception <laughs> so that lawyers asking him about his credentials and qualifications could see his reactions to their questions. Hmm. Oh, and four of the five defendants ignored the mask instructions. They took off their mask, and they all just uh, sat there and shot the shit in the, in the courtroom. Jesus. Oh, interesting. One Saudi defendant is a guy named Mustafa al-Hausawi. He kept his mask on because his lawyers say he has suffered chronic health problems resulting from rectal abuse during his CIA detention. As a matter of fact, he carried a pillow into court to make sitting less painful. Hmm. I wonder if that's true or if that's something they just made up. I mean, I'm not discounting anything the CIA did to these guys, that's for sure. All right, a couple fire stories. A fire at a temporary coronavirus hospital in North Macedonia has left at least 14 people dead. And that's just the latest in a series of blazes at hospitals around the world where people with COVID-19 were being treated. All of the 14 were patients, and there were 12 others being treated there that were injured. Uh, it, was, it was extinguished within 45 minutes, but that was long enough for the flames to like just rip through this building. One young woman had been visiting her father at the facility, and she said she watched people burn alive. She said it happened in like uh, seconds. And, you know, this has happened before. Uh, you guys remember in July, remember th at least 39 people were killed at that hospital in southern Iraq? Covered that one after an oxygen tank explosion. And then in April, a fire caused by another oxygen tank explosion at a coronavirus hospital in Baghdad 
killed at least 82. And then earlier this year, a blaze ripped through a COVID-19 ward in India, and that killed at least 18 people. So, and by the way, North Macedonia, for those of you keeping track, I know, I know there's so many of you, uh, only 27% of about 2 million residents have been fully vaccinated and they are seeing a wave of coronavirus infections. Uh, North Macedonia achieved independence 30 years ago, by the way. So again, now you know more about North Macedonia than anyone. But another fire story, this one did not have to do with a COVID hospital. This had to do with a prison. At least 41 prisoners died in a fire in Indonesia and seriously injured eight more. This was at the Tangerang Prison, about 25 miles west of the capital of Jakarta. It is still under investigation, but the Jakarta police say they suspected it had been caused by a short circuit in the prison's electrical system. And electrical system. And as you probably figured out, a lot of these guys were inside cells and couldn't get out. So all every single person who died was a prisoner. And a lot of them, yes, were trapped in those blocked cells. 40 died on the spot while one died on the way to the hospital. And that is standard procedure. They said the cells are supposed to be locked when they're inside the cell. Uh, the prison was built in 1972. The electrical system's old, hasn't been updated in decades. And it's overcrowded. They have 2,072 inmates occupying a facility built to hold 900. And there's only 13 guards available to monitor the entire prison population during each shift. As of March 2020, Indonesia has about 270,000 inmates countrywide. And... That's that is uh, that estimate is more than double the entire prison system's capacity. Yep, another one. That's a shitty way to go. Fire, God. Like honestly, that I, I, I there's so many other ways I'd rather go than fire. I, I have like a I do have like a kind of a tiered list of ways to go. My top one to go is is a over uh, a drug overdose. If I had to go. You know, it's like an illegal drug overdose, like morphine or heroin or something like that. Like if I just shot like a giant thing of heroin into my arm, because you're going to feel awesome for like five seconds. And then you just fucking black out and it's all over. So not a bad way to go. That's why I never understood these guys who like blow their brains out or jump off buildings and, you know, shotgun their faces. I'm like, dude, why? Doesn't that fucking hurt? And as, and as far as like the jumping off the buildings, like I bet a lot of these guys changed their mind like halfway down. But then you're fucked. You know, you're, you're, you're in the air, bro. This is going to happen. And I know they've done a few interviews with suicide survivors, like off the Golden Gate Bridge and shit like that. And those guys said, yeah, they did change their mind halfway down. But, you know, a little too late by then, bro. All right, let's go to North Korea. As you guys know, I'm fascinated with North Korea. Uh, they had a military parade recently, and this marks the government's 73rd anniversary. Uh, North Korea's leader Kim Jong-un was there. However, uh, in a different note, they kind of uh, skipped the usual fiery speech denouncing the uh, great Satan of the United States. And they also did not display long-range ballistic missiles. 
So they had parade. The parade uh, included military reservists, police officers, factory and health workers. And it was a departure from those aforementioned other military parades because, you know, they used to have all the weapons out and stuff like that. But now they're uh, now they are kind of keeping quiet on that kind of thing. By the way, Kim Jong-un made waves when he appeared in a Western-style suit draped over his visibly thinner frame. That's right. I think he had probably the uh, fucking gastric bypass or something because he is noticeably more thin. And instead of the regular armed forces, who usually are seen goose-stepping, down the parade. This had like ordinary military reservists. Uh, those reservists are often mobilized by Korean leaders to build his large infrastructure projects. And so this parade is kind of uh, shown to be a, you know, look how strong we are and uh, a morale booster. Remember, North Korea tested three intercontinental, intercontinental ballistic missiles in 2017. That led to sanctions from the United Nations. And after those tests, North Korea claimed an ability to target the continental United States with a nuclear warhead. But the sanctions we placed on them have continued to crush the North Korean economy. Kim Jong-un, notably, has since apologized repeatedly to his people for the economic woes caused by the sanctions. And he has also vowed to strengthen the North Korean nuclear deterrent. Now, they have not tested a ballistic missile or a nuclear device since 2017. However, the UN says that the country appears to have restarted a reactor in its main nuclear complex that helps produce plutonium for nuclear warheads. And North Korea has yet to respond to the Biden administration's offer to renew nuclear disarmament talks. Uh, I'm reading, it's actually funny, I'm reading right now a book on North Korea. It's called The Impossible State, and it's written by a former diplomat who you know has been to North Korea. Uh, he is of Korean descent himself, speaks Korean and all that, but he goes into the whole history. It's just, it's fascinating. You know, the irony is a lot of people don't know this, but North Korea up until like the late 70s and even early 80s was actually far ahead of South Korea. Yeah, like economically and socially, technologically, because... First of all, they had the Japanese colonizers post World War, uh, pre World War II for like I don't know, they were in there for like forty years, and the Japanese built a lot of like high tech stuff. In the meantime, South Korea was this like very agrarian society. It was it was all agriculture, and they were very poor. They didn't have it was, South Korea was nothing like it is today. And in addition to that, after World War II, uh, Kim Jong Il, the supreme leader. I'm sorry, uh, Kim Il-sung. <laughs> I always mix them up. Oh, so, so Kim Il-sung was the supreme leader. He was the, the, the founder of North Korea, basically. And then it was his son, Kim Jong-il, and that was the fucking uh, I'm so Ronri, you know, from Team America guy we all remember. And then it's Kim Jong-un. Okay, that's, that's the proper succession of names. Guys, find somebody else who can rattle off the three North Korean leaders off the top of their head. Right now, find me another podcast. Nobody else can do it. Nobody else is capable. The steel trap mind is the only thing that is capable of pulling off such a feat. Everybody knows it. But regardless, yes, Kim Il-sung, post-World War II, basically went to Stalin and was like, hey, I need a shitload of your technology. 
man, I need parts and I need factories and I need uh, machinists and I need machinery and all that. And, and Stalin was basically like, fine, we'll give you whatever you want. Because Stalin thought that North Korea was a very important strategic uh, area geographically, politically, and all that. So Stalin was basically like, fine, we'll give you whatever you want. So for a while, North Korea was way ahead of South Korea. And then, of course... South Korea became a capitalist country, opened their borders, and just exploded while North Korea had that famine, uh, devastated the country, killed like 10% of the population or something insane like that in the 90s. And and ever since, they've been uh, just a, a shit show. So anyway, but that book, The Impossible State, go check it out. It's a very good. Okay, what else? Let's go to, I don't want to do that yet. Okay, let's go to this. Let's go. Remember that. Let's go turn to Afghanistan for a moment. Do you guys remember after our fucking soldiers were blown up, 13 soldiers killed, so we decided to pull the drone strike on them? Well, the Pentagon was very hush hush about who exactly was killed. They refused to put out any names. Well, now there's been a big investigation by many people, including the New York Times, and now they are basically calling bullshit on the entire thing. They're saying, not only did you not kill any ISIS members, but there was no secondary explosion. The car was not filled with explosives, and basically you killed 10 civilians. So let me go through this whole thing. So this was the last known missile fired by the United States in Afghanistan. A drone attack after hours of surveillance against a vehicle that American officials thought contained an ISIS bomb. But a New York Times investigation of video evidence, along with interviews with more than a dozen of the drivers, co-workers, and family members in Kabul, is raising doubts. Okay, so military officials said they did not know the identity of the car's driver when the drone fired, but deemed him suspicious because of how they interpreted his activities that day. Well, New York Times has identified the driver as a guy named Zamari Ahmadi. Is he an ISIS terrorist? No. As a matter of fact, he's a longtime worker for a U.S. aid group. And the evidence suggests that his travels that day actually involved transporting colleagues to and from work. And an analysis of video feeds, because they have security cameras over there too, showed what the military may have seen was Mr. Ahmadi and a colleague loading canisters of water into his trunk to bring home to his family. Remember, that drone strike killed 10, including seven children. So Ahmadi is 43 years old. He had worked since 2006 as an electrical engineer for Nutrition and Educational International, a California-based aid group. And according to his relatives, he left for work around 9 a.m. in a white 1996 Corolla that belonged to that aid group. And U.S. officials told the New York Times it was around this time that their target first came under surveillance. And they said they spotted it leaving a compound identified as an alleged ISIS safe house. <laughs> oh, my, these fucking bumblers. Yep. Yeah, a Times reporter actually visited uh, his home and went through all this. Uh, the director, who, by the way, the director of the, um, the charity, he's in Afghanistan, and he's trying to come to the U.S. as well. He says, we had nothing to do with ISIS. We love America. We want to go there. So throughout the day, an MQ-9 Reaper drone continued to track his vehicle as it drove around Kabul. And P-51 
people who rode with him said what the military interpreted as a series of suspicious stops and traveling was simply a normal day at work. And what was weighing the car down was those uh, gall- gallons and gallons and gallons of water. So this is fucked up, man. <laughs> this is like just disgusting incompetence. And so, yeah, they, they, so they fucking launched a drone strike at this guy and killed him and seven kids. Jesus. This is, this is so fucking dumb. Like, as a matter of fact, Amadi had already applied for refugee resettlement in the United States. His adult cousin, Nasser, was a former U.S. military contractor, had also applied for resettlement. Oh, what a fucking cluster. If you guys want to go read the whole thing, they have, they have, uh, it's, it's fascinating. They have a uh, surveillance video. It's very, they make the very convincing case that this was just an aid worker. But if you want to read the whole thing yourself, Google this headline, quote, Times investigation in U.S. drone strike evidence suggests no ISIS bomb, end quote. And uh, yeah, pretty fucking bad. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to play a few clips here because it's insane how these guys just made shit up. Here's one of the uh, generals. I don't have his name here, but here's one of the generals right after the drone strike talking about uh, all the ISIS terrorists they killed. On Sunday, U.S. military forces conducted an unmanned over-the-horizon airstrike on a vehicle known to be an imminent ISIS-K threat. This self-defense strike successfully hit the target near Kabul airport. Significant secondary explosions from the targeted vehicle indicated the presence of a substantial amount of explosive uh, material. We are aware of reports of civilian casualties and we take these reports very seriously and we are continuing to assess the situation. All right, let, let me stop. He, he brought up a good point that I wanted to address, actually. Um, the Times sent, they had experts looking at all this and guys on the ground, too, explosive experts, and they said there's no evidence of secondary explosions either. So he's either lying or they just made it up or they're completely incompetent and don't know what they're talking about. So it's got to be one of those, right? There's no other option. And then here's Biden's Pentagon press secretary bumbling John Kirby. Let's hear him and what he had to say about this cluster. I think when the time is right, we'll be able to to try to help better flesh that out. Time's not right for that right now, Tom. Two quick questions, uh, if I may. On the strike against the vehicle, um, um, do you, you... the, the Central Command talked about secondary explosions, I think, in, in that. But do you actually have visual evidence that there were secondary explosions? Are you convinced uh, that there were? Because that seems to be one of the potential contributing factors to civilian casualties. So do you, are, you, are you certain there were secondary explosions? Yes. Can you, I just have a follow-up <laughs> part of this. Can you say how you're sure? No. <laughs> oh my god. I had not listened to that whole thing. Wow. What a fucking jerk. Oh no. Yeah, I'm sure. No, you can't know. Because I'm I'm an elite. I don't have to answer to you peons in the press. Boy, what a fucking great metaphor for the end of it. Isn't it fitting that that was the last drone strike that we launched in Afghanistan? Our bumbling fucking Pentagon, the last action, the last violent action they launched in Afghanistan is a fucking Reaper missile 
that kills a whole family. <laughs> I mean, if I didn't laugh, I'd cry. Like what? Every I'm. I just gotta. I can't. I can't handle it. Let. I, I, it's, but it is. It is a perfect fucking metaphor. Oh, and by the way, just so I have, because uh, I just have this right here, I might as well pull it up. Uh, for you remember uh, stupid Bo Bergdahl? Yeah, the guy who went AWOL, the U.S. Army Sergeant Bo Bergdahl. Yeah, well, Obama exchanged like five prisoners for Bo Bergdahl and four of the five Guantanamo detainees whom Barack Obama released in exchange for him in 2014. But guess what? They now hold senior positions in the Taliban government in Afghanistan. <laughs> you can't make this shit up. And I remember stupid Obama at the time saying, oh yeah, no, this is a great deal. And this is Kairula Kerkwa, Norula Nuri, Abdul Hakwasik, and Mohammed Fazl. And they were released in that deal in order to get Bo Bergdahl back, whom the Taliban has held, had held as a prisoner since 2009. Like, yeah, it was like five years long. Yeah, so they were they are serving as, uh, let me see, one serving as acting minister for information and culture. One is serving as acting minister of borders and tribal affairs. Another one is serving as acting director of intelligence. And one is going to be deputy defense minister. Wow. Uh, by the way, Wasik, I said his name, Abdul Haq Wasik. He is the guy who's going to be the Taliban's intelligence director. And by the way, he previously served in that same role prior to the September 11th, 2001 terrorist attacks. And that's the fucking guy Obama gave back. Oh, my God. This is everything we do. Everything we've done for 20 years is stupid. Oh, as a matter of fact, I have a video clip. Here is Barack Obama. Saying that, uh, yeah, you know what? He had to trade these terrorists for a traitor, Bo Bergdahl. Hold on, let me, uh, they got some stupid, here we go. Has always had, uh, a pretty sacred rule. President Obama on a global stage this morning defending a sacred mission to return U.S. prisoners of war. We don't leave people behind. It will, you know, it's, it's a sacred duty to bring them back, etc. And there's a sacred bond with our men and women in uniform. That is a sacred obligation. The president uh, pushed back by saying he has a sacred trust. I think he actually said it very well, what I just heard, uh, which is a sacred principle. We still have a sacred obligation to bring that person back. Sacred. 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 <laughs> We have a sacred obligation. Uh, you think, hey, you guys think that word, you think all the media and Obama used the same word by pure coincidence? You think that was just coincidence? No. God, and and while, I'm, while I'm watching that clip, you remember, remember Bergdahl's stupid father? Yeah. And Obama and him were like hugging in the Rose Garden and his father, who's like bearded with the long hair, uh, started fucking reciting the, the uh, Islamic prayer or some shit like that. Just... It's like, you cannot parody these people. It's unbelievable. I, don't, what, I have another story here, but Taliban crushed dissent. New leaders face... I don't even want to read it. God, I'm fucking sick of Afghanistan. All right, let us continue on, though. Let's go to Spain. This is an interesting story. Where Spanish authorities have arrested Venezuela's former intelligence chief for the second time, by the way. And this is in Madrid. 
And this is almost two years after this intelligence chief evaded an extradition order to the United States to stand trial on drug trafficking charges. So this guy's name is Hugo Carvajal, and the Spanish police did arrest him on Thursday. The police said Carvajal had been living fully shut in at an undisclosed location in Madrid, relying on the help of allies whom they did not identify. So Carvajal was a bigwig in the government of Venezuelan leader Nicolas Maduro. And he, Carvajal, then released a video in February of 2019 that accused Maduro of running a corrupt dictatorship whose top officials were engaged in drug trafficking. So he then fled to Spain, where he was detained on the American extradition request in April of 2019, but then released from a Spanish prison after a court deemed the request to have been too abstract to establish his involvement in drug trafficking. So prosecutors appealed it, but then Carvajal went missing. And so they they couldn't find the guy. So Carvajal was known by the nickname of El Pollo, or The Chicken, He served for several years as the military intelligence chief under Hugo Chavez, the former leader of Venezuela. And then he was with Maduro before his, uh, he had some kind of falling out with him. There's a link to click. I'm not going to click it. Oh, here it is. Here's why. Carvajal had urged the military to side instead with Maduro's main opponent, Juan Guaido. You guys remember Juan Guaido, right? He was recognized as Venezuela's legitimate president by the U.S. and several other Western governments, but that has not prevented Maduro from still holding on to power. I think I covered that a while, like a year or so ago. Well, the U.S. Justice Department said in April of 2006, Carvajal coordinated the transportation of 5.6 metric tons of cocaine to Mexico from Venezuela. <laughs> Holy shit. Uh, if you're in, in a February 29 interview, 2019 interview with the New York Times, Carvajal denied he was involved in drug trafficking. He and his lawyer claimed that the drug charges had been fabricated and that the case brought by the United States was politically motivated. Uh, that's funny. Tons and tons of cocaine. This all goes right to the top, you guys. All of it. Mexico, Venezuela, just the corruption. is. I mean, the corruption is in the presidential fucking palaces. Okay. How about this? You guys know I love a good heist story. Let's go to Paris, where three men dressed in high, uh, very fancy suits robbed a Bulgari story, uh, store in central Paris. Bulgari, I should say. Armed with guns, they stole a huge haul of jewels from the Italian jewelry company. And the robbery took place in the Place Vendôme, the historic square in Paris's neighborhood that is known for its luxury stores and has been a frequent target for thieves. They did find one person in in connection with the robbery, but they're looking for all the others. So they said this was like a brazen heist. So after stealing the jewels, the suspects who entered the store fled in a vehicle while four others took off on scooters. The police stopped the vehicle in a shootout, but they have not found the jewelry yet. Uh, they said that the amount of jewelry taken was estimated to be at least 10 million euros or $12 million U.S. How about that? Yep, Paris is no stranger to thieves looking to make away with expensive jewels. Uh, in 2008, thieves 
made away with $100 million worth of jewelry from a Harry Winston store. And then uh, a renowned French jewelry store called Chalmay, they had 2 million euros worth of jewelry stolen just in July. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, again, you know, I love the heist stories. Again, I'm going to put out a plea to my international criminal gangs. I would like an email address where I can send my resume. I feel I have a lot to bring to the table. Great hair. uh, Look very dashing in a suit. Of course, the jacked body, the bronzed skin with the color not seen anywhere in nature other than on my body. And then there's all the PJ skills. You know, rope work. I can set up the rappelling Evasive driving, been highly trained in evasive driving. Medicine, in case one of you gets shot and back at the safe house, you know, I can uh, crack you open and save your life. I'm just saying, guys, I got a lot of bullet points on the resume. So once again, I'm putting it out there. If you guys know any connections to the international criminal gangs, please let me know. Hit me up on Instagram. Give me an email address to forward on my resume. And, of course, a headshot with the cool guy Euro sunglasses, and I think they'll be uh, impressed with what I bring to the table. All right, what else? Let's go. I mentioned Mexico. Let's talk about Mexico again. Mexico's Supreme Court has voted to decriminalize abortion. That's right. They said criminalizing abortion is unconstitutional. This was on Tuesday, and this is setting a precedent that could lead to legalization of abortion across the conservative Catholic country, of 130 million people. This uh, ruling was unanimous, by the way. And it follows years of efforts by a growing woman's movement in Mexico that has repeatedly taken to the streets of major cities to demand greater rights and protection. This would make Mexico the most populous Latin American country to allow abortion. As you can imagine, it was met with elation by feminine activists and dismay by conservative politicians and the Catholic Church. So now the decision does not automatically make abortion legal across Mexico, but it does set a binding precedent for judges across the country. And abortion rights advocates said they now plan to use the ruling to challenge laws in the vast majority of Mexican states that mandate jail time or other criminal penalties for women who have the procedure. So for now, a woman who is arrested for having an abortion can sue state authorities to have the charges dropped. And activists also plan to push state authorities to free women now serving prison terms for having had abortions. Um, What else about this? Uh, There's no immediate comment from Mexican President Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador AMLO. Uh, He has faced criticism in his past for his response to the woman's movement, which he has dismissed as an effort to undermine his political project. Uh, So he was asked at his morning news conference about the Supreme Court's deliberation. He refused to offer his view on the issue. He said, quote, we don't want to encourage any confrontation. If it's already at the Supreme Court, then let it be resolved there, end quote. That's right, and he sounds just like that. I, I've seen many, many videos of him speaking, and it's uh, exactly correct. Women across Mexico have in recent years protested en masse across the country, demanding not only the right to have an abortion, but also an end to the grave and pervasive violence they face. 
Last year, an average of 10 women were killed in Mexico every day, and more than 2,000 women have been murdered in the first seven months of 2021 alone. Jeez. Fuck. Uh, anything else about this abortion? I got this other tab open. Let me just quickly scan it here. Oh, this is interesting. Here's a stat for you. In the first seven months of this year, 2021, 432 investigations were opened across Mexico into cases of illegal abortion. I thought it would actually be a lot more than that. Maybe a lot of them don't believe in abortion, just, I don't know. Maybe that's morally they, they have that. Uh, so yeah, abortion, they can do it in Mexico now. Let's go to Russia. It's interesting. A senior government official died this week when he dove off a cliff trying to save a prominent film director who had fallen into the water during a drill in Russia's far north. This was Yevgeny Yenichev, the Minister of Emergency Situations. Uh, he, Zinichev, was visiting the region of Norilsk as part of a multi-city drill involving 6,000 people. And yeah, he did dive into the water after the uh, the film director, a guy named Alexander Melnik, slipped and fell off a wet rock. Melnik, by the way, he was scout. He was there scouting locations for a documentary. He also died. So both of them died. They had been standing on the edge of Kitabo Oran waterfall in northern Siberia, and uh, yeah, he fucking. Uh, just dove right in. He was Minister of Emergencies, and in that role, he was responsible for managing the country's response to natural and man-made disasters, uh, including such as those forest fires that were burning in Siberia. You guys remember that? You've been listening. This position is considered very influential in Russia. Its previous holder, Sergei Shoigu, is a confidant of President Vladimir Putin. And Zinechev, he was 55 years old. He began working for the Russian Security Services, then known as the KGB, in 1987. And after the Soviet Union fell apart, he continued to work for them. They were renamed the FSB. And then he became a member of uh, Vladimir Putin's security detail in 2006. 2014, he became deputy head of the SFB's counterterrorism service. And in 2016... He rose to the deputy head of the entire FSB. So he's appointed emergency minister in May 2018. His is the first death of a sitting minister in Russia ever. And uh, as far as Melnik, the director, he is best known for a 2008 movie called Terra Nova, a movie about a group of prisoners taken to an island. So... There you go. And I, I guess Vladimir Putin would, is already attending his funeral or something like that. So keep an eye on that. How about this? This is pretty fast. Let's go back to Israel for a moment. Surgeons in Israel have separated one-year-old twins who are conjoined at the head. And this is the first time that surgery has been performed in the country, and they are calling it a success. It was at a hospital in the southern city of Beersheba, they had a medical team of 50 people that performed this after months of preparation. Now, this operation, separating conjoined twins, 
by the head at least, has only been performed about 20 times ever in history. And yes, the doctor who is the director of pediatric neurosurgery there says they are expecting a full recovery. So this surgery lasted more than 12 hours. They had uh, input from specialists in several fields involving neurosurgery, plastic surgery, pediatric intensive care, and brain imaging. And two experts from London and New York with experience separating twins also took part. So they were born, these twins, conjoined at the back of their heads. And their cardio and respiratory functions were monitored for several months. So to plan the procedure, three-dimensional and virtual reality models were used to precisely simulate the best way to separate bones, blood vessels, and the meninges. Those are the membranes that cover the brain. And then they were also given skin and tissue expanders months before the surgery so doctors could close their scalps after the surgery. If you didn't know, twins joined at the head. This is known medically as craniopagus twins are extremely rare. About 50 such twins are estimated to be born around the world every year, and only 15 survive beyond the first 30 days of life. And it did happen before. In 2019, a team of 100 people, including some of these same doctors who did this one, successfully separated twin girls after more than 50 cumulative hours of surgery. And then a team of Hungarian doctors managed the same thing with Bangladeshi twins in that same year. Fucking fascinating. God, thank God we live in this time. Can you imagine? I say that all the time. I'm like, dude, like, I mean, look at me. What if I was born in like 100 years ago, you know? You're screwed. Okay. Let's see what else we got here. Uh, let's go to this one's uh this one caught my eye. How about this? Which is going. Well, actually. Okay, I'll, I'll do I'll do this one later. No, I can do it right now. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, did I get some pop ups that were fucking with me? Let's go to New South Wales, where there is a body modifier. On trial right now, and I'm I'm actually I'm, this sounds kind of familiar. I might have covered it before in the past, but this is uh, interesting. This is a guy named Brendan Lee Russell. He is he has pleaded not guilty to manslaughter, female genital mutilation, and grievously bodily harm with intent, relating to three separate women. By the way, so what happened? He's going through court, right? And he has admitted to removing parts of women's genitals, but they're asking, is this actually against the law? Because a prosecutor named Chris Taylor told the court that Russell admitted performing a partial excision of a woman's labia. And he did have consent to do it, but they are contending that consent is no defense. Hmm. He's he's like a, this guy, Russell. He's like a tattoo piercing kind of guy. And he is due to face a four-week trial so far. So this is all like the preliminary shit. And they're still wondering if it's, uh, if it's actually a crime. Because Russell, who's 40 years old, he has pleaded not guilty to the manslaughter of a woman under whose skin he allegedly implanted a plastic snowflake in early 2017. When she complained of pain, Russell allegedly urged her to visit him instead of a hospital. I guess she died. 
And then he also denies using a branding iron to mutilate another female customer's genitals in 2015 or causing grievous bodily harm to a third woman who sought a tummy tuck at his tattoo and body modification business in 2016. So they are wondering if septicemia, that's when you go into like septic shock and die because of an infection, caused the death of the woman with the snowflake under her skin. So, but again, all of this is consensual. Like they all came to this guy and like, hey, you know, hey, would you fucking uh, shove this plastic thing under my skin? I mean, what could possibly go wrong? Ladies, you, you got to stop. You just got to stop this. All right. Let's go to an update. Very important update. You longtime listeners will remember that one. This one for sure. Do you remember the Maryland man who was arrested for stabbing a woman in the buttocks with a semen-filled syringe in the grocery store? <laughs> I know you can't forget that one. Well, he has been sentenced. He got 10 years in prison. And the verdict came 18 months after Thomas Byron Stemmen was charged for assault and reckless endangerment when he stabbed Katie Peters with a syringe in her right buttocks at the Anne Arundel County grocery store in Maryland. So Peters said she confronted him after this attack in February of 2020, who reportedly told her, quote, I know, it feels like a bee sting, doesn't it? End quote. Fucking lunatic. And this is like an older woman, too. Like, she, you know, she's well above 50. But she did feel something that felt like a cigarette burn. Uh, and he had a long record, this guy, he's in, completely insane, clearly. And then police went and searched his car and they found a collection of syringes containing semen. So this, I'm just fascinated how people end up to where you're jizzing in syringes and driving around and keeping the syringes in your car and then like walking through grocery stores and jabbing them into old ladies' asses. Like, how did you get there? Like, what happened to you? I don't know. All right. Let's go to California. California is moving to outlaw stealthing. What is stealthing? That is removing a condom without consent. That's right. The legislature has approved this unanimously. This would make it a civil offense to remove a condom during intercourse. And it awaits now the signature of Governor Gavin Newsom, who has until October 10th to sign it into law. So if approved, this measure would amend the state's civil definition of sexual battery and make stealthing a civil offense, meaning uh, victims could sue for damages. So Assemblywoman Christina Garcia sponsored this bill, and she said this measure would give victims another resource to hold assailants accountable. Uh, so she has been trying to pass legislation criminalizing stealthing since 2017 when a Yale University study brought widespread attention to it. But some, she ran into considerable opposition. She doesn't say why. They don't, they don't write here why people were opposed to it. A study published in the National Library of Medicine in 2019 reported that 12% of women said they had been a victim of stealthing. Another study that year 
found that 10% of men admitted to removing their condom during intercourse without their partner's consent. Huh. Similar bills on stealthing have been introduced in New York and in Wisconsin, but uh, neither one of those has passed. All right, as long as we're on California, of course, we are going to reference the recall. I've got some good audio clips here. I know most of you guys don't live in California, but this is like the this is big political news. This is massive. If you haven't seen it, uh, Gavin Newsom, incompetent, bumbling, flailing, idiotic Gavin Newsom, is bringing in all the big guns. He's uh, and I've got some audio for you pretty clearly. So, what does the there's a few issues. I'm, as a matter of fact, the New York Times is doing live updates on the election right now, which is why you know this is the only thing going on in politics. So. Uh, and the pandemic is a key issue in this recall. And for a while, Newsom was not doing well. And indeed, he's now opened a double-digit lead in the polls. It was too close to call. And the, it, was, it was practically neck and neck. So now a polling average compiled by 538 had keep Governor Newsom at 55.7% and remove at 41.3%. Oh, God. Uh, it's not good. I said a long time ago that I had no faith that he would actually be recalled, and indeed, I still do not. I intend to vote. It is September 14th. Remember, what's the, that's a, what is that, Tuesday? So it's, 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 tomorrow's the 12th and Thursday. Yeah, Tuesday. Tuesday, September 14th. If you live in California and you are listening to this and you have not voted or you don't intend to vote to recall Gavin Newsom, please stop listening to this podcast right now. I don't want you even listening to me. This will send this would send a complete shockwave throughout the nation. That's how big this is. Gavin Newsom thinks he's going to be president one day. This would be a complete repudiation of him and him shutting down the beaches and him having surfers pulled out of the water and his fucking corrupt billion-dollar mask deal with the Chinese electric bus company. I know you guys don't even, never even heard about that one, did you? No, you didn't. It would repudiate him and his unemployment department giving $30 billion away to organize criminal gangs through his sheer buffoonery and incompetence. And this isn't even one of the most important ones, but because it was caught on video, yes, the French laundry restaurant thing is a big deal. That's the thing. you can Because you can talk all day about the the corrupt electric Chinese bus company, and I can talk all day about the unemployment fraud, but that's not sexy because it's not like caught on video. That's the only thing that grabs people's attention anymore. And the fact that Gavin Newsom, while he was shutting down every small business here and all the restaurants, was caught on camera smoking and fucking joking in one of the most expensive restaurants, if not the most expensive restaurant in the entire state, along with a bunch of his fucking lobbyist friends just lapping it up, laughing it up, no masks, not wearing a mask. That was, that resonated. And that made, that pissed a lot of people off. And it just showed you how elite he was, out of touch he was. I heard the wine bill alone on that dinner was $12,000. <laughs> you fucking believe that? Just for wine was $12,000, and it's even grosser because they're all like lobbyist fucking pigs. But clearly none of them were afraid of the virus, even as they were telling you, no, you have to close your business. Because none of them are wearing masks. They're all sitting here inside having a good old time. So yes, you must. And, and, and here's the other thing I wanted to address. I know a lot of you in California, you love Larry Elder. Fair enough. Fine. 
But the fact is, since he entered the race, the polls have widened. It was super close, and then Larry Elder entered the race because everybody else was kind of a moderate. And Larry Elder is a very right-wing conservative. And that's, that's I'm not judging whether it's good or bad, but I'm just telling you it makes Gavin Newsom's attack on it much more uh, apt to land because he wanted a Trump guy who he could attack. And Larry Elder's like a Trump-esque dude. You'll notice that Gavin Newsom keeps saying the Republican recall, the Republican recall. That's his talking point. That's what everybody says. Barack Obama will say it. Kamala Harris says it. I'm going to play the clips in a moment. The fact is it was not. You can't get that many millions of signatures if it's just a Republican recall. But having a far, like a right-wing dude in the race has allowed him to do that. If it was maybe a more moderate guy, maybe he'd have a better chance. Like the uh, mayor of San Diego is running, Kevin Faulkner. Very moderate Republican. The problem is nobody outside San Diego knows who he is. So uh, as far as that, let me get to just some updates. Oh, and and also I got to talk about the fucking racist attack on Larry Elder which the media just completely buried. And if you didn't see it, Larry Elder decided to go on a walking tour of Venice Beach, which is overrun with vagrants still. It's cleaned up a little bit, but it's still really bad. And a woman, a white woman, by the way, wearing a gorilla mask, threw an egg at his head, just missing him. And witnesses say, in addition, the same white woman was hurling the N-word at him. Um... There was also allegedly a pellet gun used. And fucking just imagine for two fucking seconds if a white guy wearing a gorilla mask was throwing throwing shit at Barack Obama or any black liberal Democrat politician. It would be a fucking shit show. And... It was so bad out here. The LA Times like wouldn't even post a picture of the woman wearing the gorilla mask. They downplayed everything about it. It was just disgusting and it was barely in the news. They barely covered it. It was just it was it was super fucked up. Um do I have uh yeah, as a matter of fact, I ha- I have a clip here and you can just hear some of the fucking mayhem going on. So let's uh, hear a little bit of how this sounds. It'll, it'll get louder in a minute, but basically he's walking. There goes the egg. Okay, so there's the mob. You guys gonna kind of hear a little bit of it, and and yes, his security was also punched several times by this. Fucking embarrassing, dude. Yeah, what a fucking shit show this would be if it was anybody else but Larry Elder. And yeah, the, and the, and the national media barely covered it. Uh, then uh, here's a few audio clips. Alejandria Ocasio Cortez weighed in. Uh, she, while wearing, by the way, an abolish ice hat, she weighed in on the recall. So listen yes. to this. Now listen, if you live in California, there's probably a ballot in your mailbox on a recall election. Please find that thing, vote no, stick that sucker right back in your mailbox because the options are back. That was, okay, I guess that it just ended right there. That was a horrible fucking video. 
Uh, and then Gavin had a big fucking rally where he invited all of his uh, goofy friends. And let's uh, listen to a little bit of this. Here's Gavin Newsom himself. Navigating. Well, okay. <laughs> Since when do they fucking have ads on Twitter? That's bullshit. Okay, let's go. Here we go. But we have a chance and an opportunity to make history of our own here in the state of California by rejecting that cynicism. That well, that cynicism. Rejecting what? that fear by rejecting that kind of divisiveness. California, we are better than that. We have the opportunity by voting no on this recall. We're better than that. We're better than that. Now, you know what happens if we don't vote no on this recall, don't you? I mean, this isn't even close. On the other side of this recall, if we're not successful in rejecting this recall, Larry Elder is going to be sworn in as your next governor. Oh. <laughs> I want to sound like Obama say, don't boo, vote. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's see. Here's another clip of uh, Gavin. Why not? It's, it's, uh, okay, apparently this is... It was, apparently The Hill is the one fucking uh, Twitter account that has ads on it before they play video. Here we go. Actually, literally debating democracy in this country. The big lie. The insurrection on January 6th. All the voter <laughs> suppression bills. You're what does that have to do with California? This country. And the whole idea that a constitutional right, the right to choice... The right to reproductive freedom, the rights of women now are under assault. What a remarkable moment it is in American history. This is the most worked up I've ever actually heard, Gavin. I, somebody fucking got to him and was like, dude, you got you to not be your usual boring self. Uh, now here is bumbling, hapless, uh, incompetent Vice President Kamala Harris uh, appearing at the rally. Let's, this uh, let's hear it. recall campaign is about California and it's about a whole lot more. They're thinking that if they can get this done in California, they can go around the country and do this. You gotta understand what's happening right now. What's happening in Texas, what's happening in Georgia, what's happening around our country with these policies that are about attacking women's rights, reproductive rights, oh, voting rights, workers' rights. They think if they can win in California, they can do this anywhere. Well, we will show them you're not going to get this done. Not here. Never. <laughs> so this election, guys, it's not a one-off. We need everyone to vote no. I voted no. Doug, my husband, the first, second gentleman, voted no on his ballot. We mailed him in. <laughs> <laughs> And we got to get this done. We've got six days. It's a week from yesterday, so next Tuesday, the 14th. But let's understand, we're not only going to be doing the work of putting Gavin Newsom in exactly where we want him to be, which is as governor of California, to no. lead as he's been leading. But we are also in this election making a statement about who we are as a nation. Huh. Okay. Yeah. All right. Whatever. <laughs> know what the hell she's talking about yeah he brought up the big guns i told you he even uh he even roped uh fucking old barack into cutting a video californians you've got a big choice to make by september 14th governor newsom has spent the past year and a half protecting california communities 
Now Republicans are trying to recall him from office. Not just Republicans. Common sense COVID safety measures for healthcare workers and school staff. Your vote could be the difference between protecting our kids and putting them at risk, helping Californians recover, or taking us backwards. Protect California by voting no on the Republican recall. Okay, the Republican. See the Republican recall. That's the talking point. Uh, oh, here's more from Kamala. Let's see. She's just such a goof that I kind of like. Uh, I, I kind of like listening to her like babble and her fake laughs that, that go on. So why not? Let me just uh, play a little bit more. We fight for our country. We fight for the values we hold here. We fight for working people. We fight for organized labor. We fight for dreamers. We fight for women. We fight for voting rights. And we stand as Democrats saying we are proud to do all of that and more. <laughs> okay. You know, it was like 100 degrees where they were. Like, what kind of nut fucking comes out and stands in a, like, 100-degree heat for Kamala Harris and Gavin Newsom? Good Lord. Do I have anything else here? Mm, played that one. Played that one. Oh, let's go to... Well, this is, a, this is like, a little side thing. So, basically, did you hear about, like, Rose... You know who Rose McGowan is, the actress? Well, she was with Dave Rubin. The, uh, I don't know what he is. He's like a podcaster, a TV, a YouTube guy, whatever. Anyway, as you know, Rose McGowan was a big part of that whole me too thing, right? Especially when the, the Harvey Weinstein, the producer, the new movie producer, all the sexual assaults, all that stuff. I guess he assaulted Rose McGowan among many others. Anyway, she does not care for the democratic party anymore. She thinks she sees them all as a bunch of hypocrites who only care about the Me Too stuff when it's happening against a, a man they don't like. But if it's one of their Democratic buddies, like Weinstein, they turn the other eye. So she went on Dave Rubin's show, and she told Rubin that Gavin Newsom's wife, Jennifer, who, by the way, out here is officially known as the first partner. That's right. It's no longer the first lady. She changed it to the first partner. I'm not making that up. She told her, she told him, that Jennifer Newsom called her on behalf of Harvey Weinstein's lawyer six months before the Weinstein scandal broke to make the story go away. So she tells the story. Let's listen to... Jennifer Siebel Newsom. I think that is her name, yes. She called me, and she set up a meeting with me to meet her somewhere in Brentwood. And I actually went, and I got very, like, creeped out, and I saw her sitting where I was supposed to meet her, and I looked at her, and I, I turned around and went back into my car and drove away. She wanted to meet me. She Wait, reached when out is this? To me. When is this, just to this be clear? This is about uh, six months before the New York Times article on Weinstein that I set up broke. Okay. And she called me on behalf of a Theranos board member, the uh, lawyer for, um, longtime lawyer of Hillary and Bill, and um, Clinton. Clinton and Weinstein, one David Boyce. So this woman, I don't know, some blonde lady named with the last name of Newsom, cold calls me, and is like, David Boyce wants to know what it would take to make you happy. Six months before the Weinstein story, what it would take to make you happy, which you took as, for those that might be playing along a little bit slowly, I, I don't know. I don't know if it would be fiscal remuneration. I don't know. I, I like absolutely nothing would make me happy. Okay. Do I know if that's true? No, I don't. But uh, by the way, she follows me on Twitter, which is uh, very strange. Rose, if you're listening to this, you know, hit me up, boo. 
Okay, anything else about the uh, recall? Uh, well, oh, by the way, Sleepy Joe is supposed to be coming here Monday. Yeah, Sleepy Joe Biden will be in California. Hopefully he speaks off the cuff and we get some good, uh, good brain fucking fizzle coming out of his mouth. That would be funny. And uh, just quickly, let me mention, I know I'm spending a lot of time on this, guys, but this is like, it's only till Tuesday. This is the last chance I get to talk about it. But there has been huge money coming in here. You know why? Because Gavin Newsom is getting tens of millions of dollars from huge donors. He's raised $70 million into an account just to fight the recall, and much of that was just in July and August. And because, you know why he's able to do that? Because California has no limits on donations to recall committees. You have limits in regular gubernatorial races, but if it's a recall, all bets are off. And by the way, let's look at some of his contributions. $3 million from Netflix CEO Reed Hastings. Yeah, so if you, but you have to have your Netflix, right? I don't have Netflix for the record. Fuck Reed Hastings. Oh, look at this. $500,000 from liberal philanthropist George Soros. Uh, the wife of Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg gave $750,000. And millions more dollars came from labor unions representing service workers, teachers, and prison guards, the real estate injury, and Native American tribes that operate casinos. And yeah, he's got tons, tons and tons of money, way more than any Republican. And just full disclosure, you guys, I'm going to vote uh, to, to recall Gavin Newsom, of course. And just for the hell of it, I'm going to vote for the only Democrat in the race, and that's the YouTube guy, Kevin Pathrath. He's like 30 years old. He's like uh, makes YouTube videos and real estate investing and shit like that. I've heard him on the radio a few times. You know, what the hell? That way I can always say I voted for a Democrat because, again, it doesn't matter. Like, my, that won't cost any vote. It's not like a regular election. As I told you last week, if Larry Elder gets 10 votes and everybody else gets nine and the, do you want to remove Gavin Newsom question is successful, then Larry Elder becomes governor. So it's not like, you know, uh, my vote is costing him anything. So why not? Y'all vote for the YouTube guy. And, uh, just, uh, on a side note, a funny California story here. You guys know how it's embarrassing. We're always running out of power and Gavin Newsom is hugely into the green energy thing and hates fossil fuels and all that. Well, this story, there's a very quiet story that came out. California has asked the Biden administration to relax pollution rules to avoid rolling blackouts. How fucking funny is that? And they also had to buy five natural gas power plants just to get through this without a fucking blackout. Do you think that has anything to do with him going fighting in a recall? You think? Yep. So they are looking for an emergency order allowing a small group of natural gas-fired plants to exceed the federal Clean Air Act's emission standards during crunch time. And this is fucking hilarious because if you ever heard Gavin Newsom and the Democrats out here, they're always yammering about how green they are and we're not going back. Oh, except there's rolling blackouts, so now we're going back. Okay. All right, there's your California update. Let's keep going here. Let's go to this one. Three Vermont state troopers are investigated over fake vaccination cards. The troopers have resigned. Yep, this is a federal investigation going on here. And they believe these three officers had roles in the production of fraudulent coronavirus vaccine cards. Yeah. And they uh, seem to be like ratted out. 
It says that another trooper raised concerns with supervisors about their conduct. And the details have not been released yet, but they have been reported to federal law enforcement. Yeah, the FBI and the U.S. Attorney's Office in Burlington, Vermont. So we really don't have uh, any information other than that, but um, there, this is not the first time that people have been arrested for fake COVID cards. In July, a homeopathic doctor in California became the first person to face federal charges for selling fake COVID-19 vaccination cards. Oh, and I remember this one. In May, the owner of a bar in California was arrested on charges that he had sold fake COVID-19 vaccination cards. Okay. Let's see. Let's go to our COVID update quickly. Let's look at the world map first. Total reported COVID cases, 223,919,942. That's worldwide cases. Total reported worldwide deaths, 4,616,807. The 14-day change in worldwide deaths is down 12%. The 14-day change in worldwide cases is down 13%. So it is leveling off. Reported new cases are averaging nearly 600,000 worldwide a day. The U.S. has surpassed 40 million cases. Most European countries have reintroduced travel bans, quarantine requirements, and other restrictions on unvaccinated people. But some countries, such as South Korea and Israel, have relaxed social distancing rules. Uh, vaccines remain in short supply in many of the worst affected nations. Only 3% of people in Africa have been fully vaccinated. Well, I can I can see a future in which Africa is just get gets wrecked by coronavirus in the next couple months. Meanwhile, in the United States, forty million nine hundred fourteen thousand four hundred fifty six total reported cases. That's a minus seven percent in the fourteen day change, and total reported deaths six hundred fifty eight thousand eight hundred sixty five. That is a plus twenty nine percent in the fourteen day change. So hospitalizations and reports of new cases are starting to level off, but deaths do continue to rise. Um, the outbreak is now easing in much of the South. Tennessee leads the country in recent cases per capita, but the rate of increase has started to slow there. About 1,500 coronavirus deaths are being reported across the United States each day. That is the most since last winter. The pace of vaccination has been trending steadily upward. Okay, that's good. You guys know I'm all about the vaccine, but uh, I've got some great clips on here, so just wait for it. The FDA, as far as your updates, the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, is warning parents against getting children under 12 vaccinated. Hmm. Yep, they said uh, they're, they're, they're working around the clock to make COVID vaccines available to young children. However... They did urge patients, parents not to seek shots out for children under 12. Uh, the available vaccines, none of which have been cleared for children under 12, may not be a safe or effective dose for young children. So they're trying to, again, children are not small adults, right? Because so you have to like, uh, you can't just like cut a dose in half for a kid who weighs half as much as an adult. It doesn't work that way. What else? An appeals court has allowed Florida to continue its ban on school mask mandates for now. This mask mandate, if you, if you want to wear a mask, you can wear one. That's what I'm saying. It's just banning. It's just, the school just, all this is saying is the school can't make you wear one. 
So uh, this was a ruling in favor of Governor Ron DeSantis, a Republican, of course. And uh, a new CDC study has come out, Center for Disease Control. Unvaccinated Americans are 11 times more likely to die of COVID. One study looked at more than 600,000 virus cases in 13 states, representing about one quarter of the U.S. population between April and July. Well, again, nothing we already didn't know. Uh, What about else? Well, let me go right to the big news, which was Joe Biden this week mandating vaccines for workers. Yeah, this would would make uh, two-thirds of American, at least, American workers to be vaccinated against the coronavirus. And this reaches into the private sector where he will require that all companies with more than 100 workers require vaccine or weekly testing. He also moved to mandate shots for healthcare workers, federal contractors, and the vast majority of federal workers. Remember just a couple weeks ago, you could, it was, there was a man, there was a sort of mandate. Like you either had to be vaccinated or you could be subjected to like twice a week testing or something like that. Well, now they're getting rid of the testing. They're like, no more testing. You have to have it. So initially reluctant to enact mandates. (laughs) Well, that's a nice way of putting it. I have a clip here. I'm going to play in a moment where he said he couldn't do it and he won't do it, but yeah, he's acting through a combination of executive orders and new federal rules. And they are going to lean on OSHA, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, to draft this rule and then say, well, they can make the rule if they want to. Obviously, this is drawing a lot of praise. It's drawing a lot of criticism. And even people who support it say it might be too little too late. As a matter of fact, the one sure thing you can do to Americans opposed to vaccination would be given this mandate. They're just going to fucking... We're down to the people who are hardcore about not getting it. And and my biggest problem with it, one, I'm American who loves freedom. Again, I'm very pro-vaccine, but if you don't want to get it, that's your fucking business. I'm vaccinated, I'm good. If you don't want to get it, as I've said a hundred times, you take a chance, fine. You'll probably be fine. On the other hand, you might die. But that's your business, it's not my business. But also what they don't take into account is the people who have had COVID already. Where, according to all the science, you have a much better resistance through having COVID and lived than the vaccine can provide. We've known that for a long time. So, also this week, The Intercept, that uh, like an investigative paper, they came out with new details about the coronavirus research at that Chinese lab. Yeah, they, they had 900 pages of materials released about coronavirus research, U.S.-funded coronavirus research in China, that has been released. And this details the work of something called EcoHealth Alliance, a U.S.-based health organization that used federal money to fund bat coronavirus research at the Chinese laboratory. This was released in connection to the ongoing Freedom of Information Act. And it includes two previously unpublished grant proposals that were funded by the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. Oh, that's weird. Hmm, I could have sworn that uh, we never funded any kind of coronavirus research, according to noted Dr. Anthony Fauci. 
So uh, I'm, I can't go through the whole thing. It's very long and it's very complicated, guys. But um, definitely check out. One grant, by the way, was initially awarded for a five-year period from 2014 to 2019. Funding was renewed in 2019, but suspended by the Trump administration in April of 2020. Uh, and they are quoting Richard Ebright, a molecular biologist at Rutgers University, as saying that these documents contain critical information about the research done in Wuhan, including about the creation of novel coronaviruses. So if you want to read the whole thing, Google this headline, quote, new details emerge about coronavirus research at Chinese lab, end quote, and that's The Intercept. So go check that out. Uh, Rand Paul is already calling out Dr. Fauci, saying that he lied to Congress by insisting the United States never funded that gain-of-function research at the Wuhan lab. So he's already calling him out. Yeah, that uh, that five-year year that five-year pro grant I just mentioned that was a grant of six hundred and sixty-six thousand dollars a year for five years, or three point three million dollars. Oh, and also the other big story that happened this week in the media. Well, Rolling Stone came out and said that basically hospitals in Oklahoma were turning people away like who had gunshot wounds because they were overrun with patients who had taken that ivermectin drug. Yeah, well, it turned out to be completely false because they quoted a guy named Dr. Jason McElyee. Well, it turns out he's not an employee of the health system at all, who he presumed to speak for. But the problem is nobody actually called the hospital to check. They just ran with it. And this story fucking went everywhere. Rachel Maddow was tweeting it out. I noticed that there was not a Twitter support uh, tag attached to her tweet saying, we found this to be false. Remember when Twitter did that all the time for Trump and they just kind of stopped doing it now that he's out of office? Yep. They had to put out numerous statements saying none of this is, none of this is, is true. And nobody is being turned away from the hospital from not being able to get a bed in an emergency room because of people overdosing on ivermectin. None of it happened. There was no evidence at all. And then the hospital themselves came out and said, yeah, by the way, this never happened. Complete embarrassment. Okay, let's go to the clips. Here is the uh, some people from the Biden administration saying they'd never impose a vaccine mandate. We cannot require someone to be vaccinated. That's just not what we can do. Needless to say, the right of women to make decisions about their own bodies is not negotiable. No, definitely not. You don't want to mandate and try and force anyone to take a vaccine. We've never done that. Our interest is very simple from the federal government, which is Americans' privacy and rights should be protected. It is a matter of privacy to know who is or who isn't. We don't want to be mandating from the federal government to the general population. It would be unenforceable and not appropriate. Perhaps the federal government should step in and issue mandates. And if not, are you putting the needs of unvaccinated people ahead of the needs of vaccinated people? Well, I think the question here, one, that's not the role of the federal government. No, I don't think it should be mandatory. I wouldn't demand it be mandatory. First, we must increase vaccinations among the unvaccinated with new vaccination requirements. All right, they're sleepy. You heard them back to back saying, no, we'd never do that. And then he says, uh, yeah, actually, we're going to kind of do that. Let's have a few other um, clips here. Here's Sleepy Joe again. He's saying we're going to protect vaccinated workers from unvaccinated coworkers. And I was like, but but if you've been vaccinated, you are protected. I don't know. Everything's fucking Disney, Tyson's Food, and even Fox News. 
The bottom line, we're going to protect vaccinated workers from unvaccinated co-workers. We're going to reduce the spread of COVID-19 by increasing the share of the workforce that is vaccinated in businesses all across America. My plan will extend the vaccination requirements that I previously issued in the healthcare field. Already, I've announced, we'll be requiring vaccinations at all nursing home workers who treat patients on Medicare and Medicaid because I have that federal authority. Tonight, I'm using that same authority to expand that to cover those who work in hospitals, home health care facilities. Okay, let me just stop him right there. All right, just it's a weird fucking place to stop it. Uh, let's see, what other clips do I have? Sorry, guys, my clips are just fucked up. It's like people don't know where to cut these things. Here he is. Here's the clip of him saying his patience is wearing thin. Let's listen to what he said here. I'm asking each of you to reach out to your unvaccinated patients over the next two weeks and make a personal appeal to them to get the shot. America needs your personal involvement in this critical effort. My message to unvaccinated Americans is this. What more is there to wait for? What more do you need to see? We've made vaccinations free, safe, and convenient. The vaccine is FDA approval. Over 200 million Americans have gotten at least one shot. We've been patient, but our patience is wearing thin. And your refusal has cost all of us. <laughs> okay. That's so funny. You know, and again, I'm going to note the hypocrisy. I feel I've been fairly consistent on this issue when last week I was talking about the abortion thing in Texas. It's none of your fucking business, dude. I'm a free American, and it's up to me what I want to do with my body. And I feel that way about women who uh, decide on for themselves about abortion. And I feel that way about people who want to put stuff in their body that are vaccines or not. We don't mandate people get the flu shot. So, but there's a lot of hypocrisy on both sides. The same people screaming about, uh, well, we need to protect the unborn, so we need these draconian abortion laws, are the same people who are saying, keep your goddamn vaccine out of my body. On the other side, the same people who are screaming about the abortion law as the new Taliban are the same ones demanding that you stick a fucking vaccine in your body. So, do you see what I mean? So, it's, it's on both sides, and I'm getting just getting sick of it. This one's funny. Fox News' Peter Ducey. Is it Ducey? I think it's Ducey. He asked uh, bumbling press secretary, Jen Psaki, he's like, wait a minute, Biden is uh, mandating that every American pretty much get vaccinated, but not all the illegal aliens pouring through the southern border? Why is it that you're trying to require anybody with a job or anybody who goes to school to get the COVID-19 vaccine, but you are not requiring that of migrants that continue walking across the southern border into the country? Well, look, our objective is to get as many people vaccinated across the country as humanly possible. And so the president's announcement yesterday was an effort to empower businesses, to give businesses the tools to protect their workforces. That's exactly what we did. But certainly we want everybody to get vaccinated and more people are vaccinated, whether they are migrants or whether they are workers, protects more people in the United States. But it's a requirement for people at a business with more than 100 people, but it's not a requirement for migrants at the southern border. Why? That's correct. Go ahead. <laughs> and, then, and then she calls on somebody else. She doesn't even answer the question. He says, why? He's like, no. Uh, let's see. Any more clips do I have? I got uh, got a few from Fauci here. Which one's the one I really wanted to play? Um, well, let's start with this one. 
let's start with him being asked the question I asked about, well, what about people who've had COVID and have the antibodies? So they, they should, why should they have to get a vaccine and how can they be protected? Let's listen to this part. And just, and just real quickly, um, there was a study that came out of Israel about natural immunity. And basically the headline was that natural immunity provides a lot of protection, even better than the vaccines alone. Um, how, what, are, what are people to make of that? So, so as we talk about vaccine mandates, there are, I get calls all the time. People say, I've already had COVID, I'm protected. And now the study says maybe even more protected than the vaccine alone. Should they also get the vaccine? How do you make the case to them? You know, that's a really good point, Sanjay. I don't have a really firm answer for you on that. That's something that we're going to have to discuss regarding the durability of the response. The oh, one okay, thing yeah, yeah, shut up, real- shut up. I don't want to listen to you anymore. There's a couple more I have them, but I'm just going to skip it because I'm trying to get away from this uh, this COVID shit as fast as I can. God, aren't you guys tired of talking about COVID? I am. I mentioned Joe Rogan earlier. And uh, he, remember, he t- I played the clip last week where he was taking a bunch of shit, including ivermectin, which, as you know, is not just a horse dewormer, but is also used on humans. Anyway, here he is on his show asking whether asking whether he should sue CNN. Bro, do I have to sue CNN? I don't know. I don't know. Do you? They're making shit up. They keep saying I'm taking horse dewormer. I literally got it from a doctor. It's an American company. Mm-hmm. It's a, it, they won the Nobel Prize in 2015 for use in human beings. Yeah. And CNN is saying I'm taking horse dewormer. Yeah. What, so well, they must know that that's a lie. Well, there's a lot of people saying it. <laughs> right. But a lot of people can say it. Okay. Okay. Like, so, so isn't it, is he just fucking naive? He sounds incredulous that CNN would make shit up. Like, bro, I'm not, try- I, I swear I'm not jealous of him or anything, but damn, dude. He just sounds fucking dumb. <laughs> like, fucking grow up. Uh, and then finally, to close out our COVID update, did you guys see the chick in Nebraska who was coughing on shoppers at a supermarket? Yeah, I got the clip of that, so I haven't had... Let's hear this one. That's a... Um, excuse me? Excuse me. I'm coming through. You don't know who's sick or not. Hey, you it's my allergy. You don't I have know allergies. who's sick or not by, by looking oh, at Oh, yeah, yeah. And so two years ago, before anybody started co- talking about COVID, you were okay with that, though, going out not knowing you were sick, right? You don't know anything right? about my health. I don't. Yeah, she's coughing at me. I have my allergies. <laughs> and she got all freaked no, out because I'm coughing. No, she don't. No, she's coughing. How do you know? You don't know anything. She just said, I don't know anything about her health. You don't know anything about my health. I actually, I, maybe I have a medical. Okay, everybody. Please, I don't need to wear a mask. Okay, bye. Why don't you have a mask? Okay, so there you go. That's uh, that, you haven't had, we haven't had a good mask meltdown in a while. I miss those. All right, there's your coronavirus update. God. All right, let's uh, keep going. Let's talk about the Navy helicopter that we lost. This is a terrible story. That was the U.S. Navy helicopter that crashed off the coast near San Diego last week. It did kill five sailors, sadly. 
What happened, apparently, according to a new report, it was uh, it landed on an aircraft carrier, and it was experiencing side-to-side vibrations, and then its main rotor struck the flight deck, and the aircraft fell into the ocean. This was an MH-60 Seahawk helicopter. It was operating from the flight deck of the USS Abraham Lincoln, an aircraft carrier, and it crashed into the sea about 4.30 p.m. local time, and one person was rescued from the helicopter. Five people on the flight deck were injured, but sadly, we did lose five sailors. Now, they did not elaborate what happened to the Seahawk or what had caused the injuries on the flight deck, but they did put out a safety report that offered a a few other details, and that's really all we know. Some kind of vibration, something must have failed on it, is what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, they they do say one thing about one thing about uh, this guy here. An aircraft safety expert is quoted as saying the crash could have been caused by any number of factors, including mechanical failures, poor maintenance, pilot error, the movement of the aircraft carrier in the ocean, and even wind conditions. Very sad. Okay, well here's a headline you don't see every day: Spanish bishop quit for love for erotic writer. That's right. Spanish Bishop Javier Novell resigned last month from the Roman Catholic Church. He actually resigned, so, so it was a month ago, and at the time the church just said it was uh, personal reasons. Well, it has now emerged in Spanish media that he fell in love with a woman who writes satanic-tinged erotic fiction. <laughs> in 2010, at the age of 41, he became Spain's youngest bishop in Solsona in the northeast region of Catalonia. He actually backed conversion therapy for gays and carried out exorcisms. He was seen as a rising star, but then he fucking just decided to quit. So a newspaper called Religion Digital reported that he had fallen for divorcee Silvia Caballel, a psychologist and erotic novelist. They also said that the former bishop is now looking for a job in the Barcelona area as an agronomist. Uh, The female, Sylvia, her books include titles such as The Hell of Gabriel's Lust (laughs) and the Trilogy of Amnesia. Yeah, he's uh, now 52 years old, and uh, he said, yeah, I'm done. In earlier interviews, Javier had actually admitted that in his youth he had fallen in love with an 18-year-old girl and had later wanted to marry and have children before deciding on the priesthood. Well, see, that's why priests should be allowed to marry. Let's see what else. Um, let's go to the. What is this one? I some of the headlines I can't see. Oh, uh, remember that Minneapolis bail fund that was promoted by Kamala Harris? That was the Minnesota Freedom Fund, and Vice President Kamala Harris actually tweeted out how to support it. Well, that Freedom Fund was responsible for releasing large numbers of the BLM rioters. But here's something a little bit more serious. 48-year-old George Howard was arrested and charged with murder weeks after he was released by the Minnesota Freedom Fund. His, he was formerly, his bond uh, was set at $11,500 on domestic abuse charges. And he was then freed by this fund, which is one of these far left-wing things that believes that nobody should ever be put in jail. That's nice, isn't it, a domestic abuser? You'd think somebody in the media would ask Kamala Harris about that. 
You know, like, hey, so you really want it? You really support this fund that frees uh, guys who beat up women, huh? Well, then uh, Howard went on to allegedly shoot Luis Damian Martinez Ortiz, 38 years old, after getting into a violent altercation with him on the interstate. <laughs> yeah, road rage. So, yep, out on bail from Kamala's bail fund goes on to commit murder. All right, this is a uh, fucked up story here. A budding actor has admitted to having sex with a dog in a home movie after extreme and obscene videos were seized from him, including child of, a stash of child abuse images. This is Ewan Cole. He's caught by police with child abuse images and a depraved video of him having a, quote, unnatural connection, end quote, with a dog. He's, he's had his sentence deferred for the preparation of psychological reports. Um... Yeah, during court, they were told by one of the canine victims was identified by its tail. And one of the recovered films appeared to show Cole engaging in sexual activity with a German shepherd dog. And, uh, <laughs> dude, one of the videos, according to the court, said that it clearly showed a man performing a sex act on a dog. Another video showed a black and white collie performing a sex act on a man. <laughs> no faces can be seen in these videos. <laughs> oh. What's worse, guys? Quick poll. What's worse, you banging the dog or having the dog bang you? And how do you get the dog to even bang you? It's unclear. I have a lot of questions that these stories never seem to answer. Uh, what else? Let's go to this one. LAPD officers are being told to collect social media data on every civilian they stop. This is fucking messed up. Yeah, they said every civilian they interview, including individuals who are not arrested or accused of a crime, are to have their social media put down. They have these field interview cards that police complete when they question civilians. Well, LAPD officials are now being instructed to record a civilian's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and other social media accounts alongside basic biographical information. Yeah, and they didn't even announce it. These documents were obtained by a uh, whistleblower. And, yeah, in 2015, the department added social media accounts as a line on those cards. While social media collection has largely gone unnoticed... The LAPD's use of field interview cards, uh, cards has long prompted controversy, including falsely labeling civilians as gang members after stopping them, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So now they're going to try to collect your social media accounts. That's why I don't have my social media in my actual name. Okay, uh, a Marine recruit has been found dead on Paris Island. There's investigation underway. The recruit was found dead around 7.30 in the morning after apparently falling from a balcony at Paris Island. This uh, The NCIS is handling the investigation. This death comes three months after another Marine recruit, Dalton Beals, died during the rigorous crucible training exercise in June. There have been at least eight trainee deaths on Paris Island since the year 2000. And that's about all we know from it. A couple of you guys sent me this one. Here's a screwed up VA story. A U.S. Army veteran died in a stairwell of a Veterans Administration housing facility and then sat there for a month 
because nobody thought to check the stairs despite them being just down the hall from his room. Are you kidding me? The report was issued September 9th, says the remains of 62-year-old Timothy White were found in the emergency exit stairwell by another resident of the VA's Bedford Bedford Veterans Quarters in Bedford, Massachusetts. So it wasn't even found by the employees. It was found by another vet. The discovery was made June 2020, June 12, 2020, and White was significantly decayed. Oh, God. Yeah, it, it obviously happened a while ago, but it's just coming out now because the report has been released by the Office of Inspector General. Yep. He had never been known to leave the VA quarters without explanation. He had no cell phone and no car, but he disappeared. And then they were like, well, we can't find him. We give up, I guess. Jeez. Investigators also found VA police officers had been improperly instructed to stop patrolling the building a month earlier and medical center staff never cleaned the stairwell due to confusion over who was responsible for the stairs. Jeez. Uh, and yes, the very bottom paragraph, kind of predictable. White had been living at the facility for about five months. He had been struggling with homelessness. All right. Very sad. Check the fucking stairs, guys. Jesus. Uh, let's see. This one is fun. Hey, have a little video. This will entertain you. So a guy, apparently his girlfriend broke up with him and he saw her with another man. So he decided to freak out on him, and he actually takes a shot at him. And I've got the video for you. Let's hear this. You call 12? You call 12? He's pointing a gun at you them. You call 12? Hey, hey, I know where you work, nigga. I know where you live. I know where your every move at, bro. I'm finna be on your ass next time I see you. You on live right now. You a bitch. You not talking none of that shit. Your, your boyfriend, whoever you, your, your new nigga you fucking, he a bitch too. I slap, I, bro. Shut your ass up, bro. Y'all are some bitches, bro. Y'all are some bitches. I'll shoot you in your head, bro. I'll knock that wig off your shit. Shut up, bitch. Shut up, bitch. Shut up, bitch. Shut up, bitch. Hey, Mel, watch your back, bro. You know what I'm on now, bro. You know what I'm on now, bro. That's why you over there, though. That's why you over there. 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 I got you, bro. You know what I'm on now, though. You know what I'm on now, though. I got you. I got you, bro. I got you. I got you. I got you. I got you. What you got in your pocket, bro? What you got in your pocket? Pull it out. What you got in your pocket? Pull it out. What you got in your pocket? What you got in your pocket? Bro, I will blow your shit, boy. Fuck, nigga. Fuck, nigga. He's on live, fuck, by nigga. the way. People are commenting. Oh, y'all watch your back. I don't know who the fuck that nigga is right there, but he can get his top smoke, too. Fuck is you talking about? I'm going to be back, boy. Oh, bro, laugh it up. Hey, this is this the face of a nigga that's going to die, boy. I swear to God. That's the face of a nigga that's going to die, boy. I swear to God. Yeah, you waiting on your peoples. You waiting on your peoples. I know you is. You waiting on your peoples. You waiting on your peoples. Folks don't want to be here at all. He's scared. He's scared. He like, bro, leave him alone. He got a gun. He a bitch. You be fucking the pussy niggas. Shut up, bitch. Shut up, bitch. I'm going to be back. I'm going to be back. Yeah, I got a gun. I'm going to smoke you with it, bitch. Shut up, bitch. Shut up, bitch. You musky pussy bitch. Shut up. Shut up, bitch. I'll smoke that wig off your shit, bitch. Get you some new lace for us, bitch. You ugly as fuck, bitch. 
Fuck it up, shut up, bitch. Yeah. I ain't finna fight nothing. I fought last time. And motherfucker tried to take my pose. So now I'm blowing this bitch. Fuck you talk about. On game. On game. You there bitch. There's a shot. Shots fired. There he goes, zooming off. Okay. Guys, don't fucking simp. Come on. That's that's a simp move. Okay, let's see. A couple of these stories. A 45-year-old woman, Yvonne Rogan, dies after falling 50 feet from cliff edge after tripping over while hiking in the Golden Gate National Park. Jeez, horrible. That's about really all we know. Meanwhile, a tourist from California was seriously injured on Monday when she stood up in the back of a pedicab to snap a photo near Times Square and fell out. The 61-year-old woman, who appeared to be inebriated, lost her balance while trying to take a quick picture. And she fell out of the rickshaw and smashed the back of her head on the ground. Jesus. Got to be smarter than that, guys. Got to be smarter than that. Uh, let's see. You know, this This was a weird... That, did you hear about this ex-Marine who fucking killed four people? Yeah, this is 33-year-old Brian Riley. He's being held without bail after allegedly shooting four people dead and wounding an 11-year-old girl in Lakeland, Florida in what police describe as a random attack on total strangers. He has allegedly said that God spoke to him. Polk County Sheriff, my man, Grady Judd, told CBS News, quote, he is evil in the flesh. And he also went on to say, I will never be able to unsee that mother with the deceased infant in her arms, end quote. Yep, shot her dead. Police say Riley showed up at the home on last Sunday and killed Justice Gleason, as well as a 33-year-old woman, her infant son, and the boy's 62-year-old grandmother. The 11-year-old was shot multiple times but survived. Police said Riley, who served four years in the Marine Corps, was dressed in camouflage and body armor. Ugh. How about uh, a couple homeless vagrant stories? The city of Denver is shutting down Civic Center Park due to safety reasons and uh, rats, by the way. Yeah, that's right. They allowed uh, fucking vagrants to take over the park. And the city said that unsafe conditions include litter and food waste, uh, human and pet waste, improperly discarded needles, and other drug paraphernalia. They also said that excessive amounts of trash have accumulated each day, including discarded food and human waste. It's fucking gross. See what happens? You got to nip that. You can't let them take over your public spaces. Meanwhile, out here in California, a fucking couple horrible vagrant crimes. A homeless felon out on the streets, despite his recent violation of parole, was arrested for raping and murdering a Sacramento woman, killing her dogs, and setting her house on fire. 51-year-old Troy Davis was also let out on zero bail in June for stealing a car, even with his long history of violent crimes and having recently been in prison for a violent felony. And they do think he's one of Governor Gavin Newsom's 76,000 felons let out of prison early. Fucking believe this guy? Oh, and by the way, hours before Troy Davis um, killed, they're not naming the victim, but they don't believe the victim and suspect known to each other, like totally random. But hours before 
the woman's murder. Troy Davis was caught masturbating on a front porch in the same neighborhood through a ring camera. <laughs> Jesus. This is who we're this is Governor Gavin Newsom. That's it all it is. And then in Las Vegas, a homeless man in Nevada is suspected of killing three men and shooting a dog in a 90-minute spree on Labor Day. Uh, was arrested. This is 35-year-old Tristan Tidwell. And he told police he was homeless and targeted the three victims and a dog because he thought they were also vagrants. Man. Just, like, random. Yep. And then finally... Yeah, one more. How about this? Let's go to fucking Malibu. And the Malibu Times had this story. A man is recovering after he was violently assaulted on a Malibu beach in the middle of the day, August 29th. You notice how none of these stories really fucking crack through to the national cable news stations? They're not naming the victim, but he was a visitor from out of town. He was reportedly eating lunch on the beach with his family, three adults and two children, a little before noon, when two men approached them, allegedly claiming the beach was their territory. After a brief verbal altercation, one of the men produced a machete and began attacking the victim. And that's putting it mildly, because they shared the gruesome details about the attack later. The machete assault resulted in disfigurement of the victim, including cutting and is disabling his tongue, removing his eye, and slitting his nose, ear, and lip. Yeah, he fucking pulled his put his eye out, dude. Fucking unbelievable. This is what you get. This is what you get when you allow him to do all this shit. Uh, quickly. The Wire star, Michael K. Williams, 54 years old, was found dead of a suspected heroin overdose in his Brooklyn penthouse. And they are looking into seeing if it was laced with fentanyl. It's no good. He was so good in The Wire. Uh, it is, and, I, and honestly, he was really good in Boardwalk Empire as Chalky Williams. Uh, I feel actually that role didn't get enough um, props because the, his role as Omar in The Wire was so good, and I'm sure a lot of you guys have seen that. Uh, excellent television show. Let's see. Arizona mom fatally shot in chest by five-year-old son. 38-year-old Michelle Cox was shot in their family home. She succumbed to her injuries, and they do believe, yes, it was a just a negligent shooting. They had a fucking gun laying around. Kid picks it up. Boom. Dead. This one was not, though. A Texas woman allegedly murdered her 82-year-old husband after shooting him multiple times. 69-year-old Dina Catherine Storch was charged with shooting her husband multiple times. The authorities say she did confess to killing him. A motive was not immediately known. Well, I know what the motive is. After a bunch of decades, she got sick of his shit. That's what the motive is. A former Army Ranger, I'm sorry, Army Major, gets a life sentence in the killing of three neighbors to eliminate a witness in a court-martial. Christian Richard Martin will not be eligible for parole. He was convicted after a two-week trial in June in the deaths of Calvin and Pamela Phillips and Edward Dancero. Uh, this actually happened back in 2015 and, uh, Martin 
interestingly enough, he was a pilot for an American Airlines subsidiary when he was arrested. He was pulled off a jet in handcuffs before he was to take off, like as the captain of a flight from the Louisville airport. A special prosecutor said that during the trial, Martin had motive to kill neighbor Calvin Phillips because he was set to testify in a court-martial that could have ended Martin's army career. His wife and Dan Sorrell were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. He was ultimately discharged from the army, and he was also convicted by a military court of mishandling classified information and assault on a child. Wow, great guy. Uh, this, one of you guys sent me this one. This is funny. From up in Canada. The co-chair of the Liberals' Indigenous Commission has resigned after questions emerge about ancestry. <laughs> Susie Kyes was the co-chair. And I'm looking at her picture. She looks like an old white lady. But apparently she claimed Indigenous ancestry. However, the they looked at the uh, tribes that she claimed. And she named several. And the tribes said they did not have Kai's on any of the tribal council list. That's right. So she's a big faker. And she tried to do the old, well, I just uh, went by what my grandma always took, told us. This one is uh, amusing, too. Uh, it's not exactly a fake hate crime, is it? If, it? if you do it to yourself. Yeah, this fucking caused a huge shitstorm in Spain when... Allegedly, eight hooded assailants attacked a 20-year-old while shouting homophobic slurs. And yes, this led to many protests. The group shouted insults such as Medicon, which um, slur here means fag in Spanish, and cut him with a knife, even carving that word into one of his buttocks. Okay. <laughs> Does that not come off as bullshit right there? Insults such as shit-eater and disgusting were also aimed at him. His lip was cut by the weapon, as well as the carving into his buttock. And of course, all the dopes in the fucking the gay activist community bought it hook, line, and sinker. The fucking newspapers ran with it. Yep, they all fucking fell for it again. And guess what? You're never going to guess what happens next. He has now admitted that his injuries were consensual. They do not name him. He's 20 years old. Yep. The apparent victim has now added that his admitted his injuries were caused while he was having sex with another man. And do they have any detail in here? Um, no, they don't. They don't say if like the, he actually had anything carved into his ass or not. But he did. But yeah, he made the whole thing up. Remember I told you about the New Zealand guy who stabbed five people to death who was long known to authorities and had been in jail and for some reason they didn't fucking kick his ass out of the country? Remember he was like uh, from Sri Lanka or something? Well, they are finally taking some action. Now, are they going to expel violent jihadists from their country? No, they are not doing that. However, they will remove knives and scissors from supermarket shelves. That's right. They are finally... They are finally going to do that. Thank God. The attacker, by, and we know more. Remember I asked last week about it, and I was like, how long has this guy been under surveillance? We know that now. The attacker had been under surveillance since 2016. You believe that? Five fucking years. Because he had a known support for ideology 
inspired by the Islamic State. By law, the man could not be kept in prison, so he was being constantly monitored instead. And of course, the news doesn't ask, like I did, why didn't you just put his ass on the next fucking plane back to Sri Lanka and get rid of him? Here's a shitty story. A healthy baby uh, mistakenly... I'm sorry, let me start over. Bad headline written. Doctors at a hospital in Birmingham, England, have mistakenly terminated a healthy unborn baby in a procedure instead of its sickly twin. The mother decided to abort one of the fetuses because it was suffering from restrictive growth, which increases the chances of stillbirth. But guess what? The surgeons actually fucking terminated the wrong one. Oh, my God. There are more than 2 million safety incidents reported in the National Health Service in the UK every year, with more than 10,000 of those resulting in severe harm or death. Yeah, that's no good. Might want to fucking make sure you uh, get the right one ahead of time. Just saying. Okay. Let's keep going here. What clips do I have here? I just want to go through a few of them. Oh, here's one. Uh, we had a good old plane meltdown. Yeah, a man and his wife freaked out on flight attendants before he kicked out. Let's uh, see how this one goes. So, so if I'm reading between the lines here, the guy had his mask slipped under his nose for, according to him, just a second, and the flight attendant came up and kicked him off. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I'd be pr- pretty pissed off, too. And then I saw this one. Here's a guy in Colorado. He walks up to a group of young chicks at the beach, and they're wearing you know bikinis, and he starts harassing them about their bathing suits. This should be funny. <laughs> Okay, so why, why do you dress this way? Dude, why do you, I'm hot and I like women, so please leave us alone. Well, kindly. Well, take, take young. I'm at the beach in take, my bathing take, suit. Yeah, that's, that's a thong and that's a bra. That is a take, fucking bathing take suit. Take young sir. guys into consideration. They don't need to see pornography, right? We're not guys. coming up with you, bothering you. Please go away. You're flaunting your stuff. I'm not flaunting anything. Don't look at me. <laughs> you look around and, and you're the only thing that sticks out because your whole body is Okay, well, so why are you looking at me? Oh, get the fuck. 
close your eyes. What if you say gouge your eyes out if I fucking bother you? Did I ask you to talk to me? Here's the thing. You didn't, you didn't, but, there, but here's the thing. There's okay, free will in America. There's no, freedom of speech. Bro, you don't bro, have to get the fuck away. And, and, if, and, if, and if men of God don't stand oh up, then our society's gonna go, oh, oh, go down the drain because there's no morality. I'm atheist, sorry. Yeah, same. If you're, okay, that, 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 that's, if you're an atheist, that doesn't mean you have to, you know, show your body off. You can still put clothes on. Oh, I can't with you. <laughs> hey, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I'm speaking truth. Your body will never ever satisfy. The physical will never ever satisfy. There's a longing in each of your hearts to actually be seen. The reason why, the reason why you're showing your body because you're like, am I pretty enough? We're definitely pretty enough. Thank you. Hey, I'm just, I'm just saying. Just, just next time you come to a beach and there's young eyes, take that into consideration. Because, what are you because, you gonna go bother that man now? Yeah, go. Move along. That's a lot different. How, how, is, how is that? Just, because he has a this fucking is, dick. Is, is, is that why? Go down the drain because there's no. Okay, so it stops right there. Uh dude. Yeah, I just, don't, don't, don't do that. Okay. Uh, quick. How much time? Okay, not much time left. Let's keep going. A Missouri man hid a video camera in his bathroom during a pool party at his home, recording several guests. 40-year-old Kyle Vandermolen was arrested on a felony charge of invasion of privacy after a woman using a bathroom at his home found a covert video surveillance camera pointed at the toilet. Oh, no. The memory card had 11 videos on it that were taped earlier that day, including two clips of the husband of the woman who discovered the video hidden camera uh, using the bathroom that showed his penis in the reflection of a mirror. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, he looks exactly like you would think he would look too. Clinton Portis, the NFL player, is among one who has pled guilty to defrauding an insurance plan. Yes, he has pleaded guilty for his role in a wide-ranging effort to defraud a health care benefit program for retired NFL players. Uh, the other two NFL pros were Tamarick Vanover and Robert McCune. In all, 15 people have pled guilty to this plan. This is the Gene Upshaw NFL Player Health Reimbursement Accountant Plan, with which repays former players for out-of-pocket medical expenses. So what Portis did was submit fraudulent claims for nearly $100,000 in medical equipment that was never delivered. Vanover recruited three other NFL players and helped them file false claims for almost $160,000 total. McCune orchestrated the fraud which included submitting about $2.9 million in false claims. Cigna, the insurance company that administers the plan, detected claims for expensive medical equipment that raised alarms. They started looking into it. They were asking for like hyperbaric oxygen chambers, cryotherapy saunas, shit like that. So uh, they got the hammer dropped on them. We'll see how, what kind of sentence they get. A man has gone to jail for stealing $300,000 from the VA, Veterans Affairs, by claiming he was a decorated Navy SEAL. For nearly 10 years, Richard Molesky told almost anyone who would listen about the 18 hours he had spent as a prisoner of war in Beirut in the 1980s. <laughs> uh, yep. He said all kinds of other shit. 
He said, uh, he said, with the body of another seal slung over his shoulder, he escaped the prison by diving out a window. But he had PTSD ever since. And get this, unlike a lot of guys who at least were in the military at one point, this guy never served a single day in the military. Most of the time he claimed to have been stationed overseas, he had actually spent in and out of New Jersey prisons. So he uh, used this to bilk the VA out of three hundred grand, and he was sentenced to 40 months in prison. Yep, fuck you. Oh, let's see. The Okay, guys, pop quiz. You ready for this one? Who is Nadal Hassan? If you said he was the former Army major terrorist who killed 13 people at Fort Hood, you would be correct. That's right. Nadal Hassan did kill 13 people at Fort Hood in 2009, and, of course, he was the uh, Islamic terrorist sympathizer and he did he shot the 13 dead because he saw himself as a soldier of uh islamic extremists but anyway he congrats he has congratulated the taliban from his cell on death row and he wrote to his attorney in an august 18th letter quote we have won end quote uh, he went on to say, quote, All praise be to mighty Allah. Congratulations on your victory over those who hate for the laws of almighty God to be supreme on the land. End quote. He's 51 now, by the way. He's been in jail. It's a federal charge, so hopefully, but stupid, sleepy Joe Biden, remember, doesn't want any federal inmates to get the death penalty anymore, so he probably won't ever get it. But yes, he... Uh, he wanted Sharia law, not only in Afghanistan, but also in this country as well. Yep. So, rotten hell. Uh, let's see. Greg Abbott of Texas, the Texas governor, has signed the Texas election law, you know, about that voting rights thing. So all the hysteria over that, and yeah, nobody cares anymore. Uh, an ex-Chicago Blackhawks video uh, assistant coach is being sued by some of his former players who claimed that he locked them inside and attempted to molest them. A 4,000-year-old coffin has been unearthed at a British cough, uh, golf course. Workers digging in a pond at Tetney Golf Club discovered the waterlogged coffin containing the remains of a man who, set, who archaeologists said was buried about 4,000 years ago. I love that shit. The Elizabeth Holmes Theranos trial is finally starting. You guys know she is the founder of the defunct blood testing company Theranos. That's the one that took all those powerful men for a, a ride and got in their pockets because she was a young blonde and they all fell for it, including many smart men, including retired General Mad Dog Mattis got took by this chick. If you guys ever want to read the definitive book uh, about the fraud, which is fascinating, great book, uh, it's called Bad Blood. And it's very good, so go read that one. Um, what else? Let's see, quickly. Um, migrants continue to surge towards the border. Uh, so the Supreme Court has effectively revived a cornerstone of the Trump-era migration policy. That would be the Remain in Mexico or the Migrant Protection Protocols. Yes, yeah, so that... Um, that is going to still be in effect. And the funny thing is, is that a lot of the Biden staff is like kind of quietly enjoying it 
because it was extremely politically damaging to them. And it's good for them because they can say to their crazed left-wing open border supporters, hey, look, we tried to get rid of it. The courts told us no. So they can say that and be okay while the policy remains in place and hopefully deters more illegal immigration and thusly more bad news and bad publicity for the Biden administration. Komodo dragons are now endangered and moving towards extinction. That's no good. That's the huge lizard that can grow up to 10 feet long. They were reclassified last week as endangered. They were previously considered vulnerable. Uh, So yes, they are native to Indonesia and they are found in the country's Komodo National Park. And um, the the species faces mounting obstacles to long-term survival they are particularly vulnerable to environmental changes because they inhabit a limited belt of land between the island's coasts and steep forested hills. So the, the territory is like, you know, thin, if you will. Virginia has removed the Robert E. Lee statue from the state capitol. Oh, thank God. It should be smooth sailing for everybody now. The Confederate memorial was first erected in 1890, the first of six monuments that became symbols along the main boulevard in Richmond. And it is now removed because of the hysteria over long-time, lifelong criminal George Floyd. Uh, let's see. Cyber grave robbers are being accused of stealing the identities of the Surfside condo victims. You guys know that? That's the condo building that collapsed in Florida? Yeah, well, apparently a bunch of fucking scumbags have stolen their identities and are using them to steal tens of thousands of dollars by obtaining credit in the names of at least seven residents so far. So now the FBI is looking into it. Uh, Let's see quickly here. What else? Um, Just look. Oh, I already did that story. That's a guy about the ring doorbell camera. Flooding hits Mexico Hospital. That killed 17 people. Jesus. Central Hidalgo State. Just from flooding. You know, the flooding, you'd think they'd have time to move people. Former France footballer Jean-Pierre Adams has died at the age of 73. And I'm fascinated with, not because he was a football player, but he was was an international football star. He has been in a coma for 39 years. Well, he finally died at the age of 73. Get this. He was admitted to the hospital for knee surgery in March of 1982. He never regained consciousness after an error with the anesthesia. That is nuts, dude. Yep. Both between the, between the anesthetist and, the, and one of his trainees, numerous errors were made. He suffered a cardiac arrest and brain damage. Get this, he was dis- he was discharged from his hospital after 15 months and had been cared for at home ever since by his wife, Bernadette. She fucking spent 40 years almost caring for Jean-Pierre. Never considered turning off her husband's life support machine, changed his clothes, prepared his food, gave him presents, talked to him, everything. You guys fucking believe that? What a woman. Now, I will say, for the record, um, if I'm ever in a uh, committed relationship and my hot-ass wife becomes a vegetable, I- I'm, I'm going to pull the plug. <laughs> I'm just kidding. 
but I'll wait a while. I mean, I'm going to wait at least 48 hours. I'm not heartless. Come on. That's right. Quickly, a Maryland judge has killed himself as the feds arrive at his door to arrest him for sexually exploiting children. This is 50-year-old Jonathan Newell. And get this, he was the county state attorney for Maryland since 2003 and a judge since 2016. Oh, here we go. A young boy said he found a video camera in the bathroom of Newell's cabin in Fishing Creek, Maryland, after he and a friend spent the night there. Uh. The boy told his parents an investigation was launched, and they found more cameras in the shower. During the interview, Newell disappeared and apparently swallowed one of the memory cards. God, dude. And this went on. So he fucking offed himself. Yeah, good. The singer, Africa Bambata. You guys know, remember him? Yeah, a new lawsuit is accusing the hip-hop pioneer uh, for uh, saying he was sexually abused and he was prostituted when he was 12 years old. Yeah, he's known only as John Doe. Says that from 1991, when he was only 12 to 1995, he was repeatedly sexually abused and sex trafficked at the hands of Africa Bombada. Also, uh, his birth name, by the way, is Lance Taylor. So he's being sued. Yes. Uh, okay. And finally, um, let us go to the big finish. And guys, you know the hazing stories? They're fucking ridiculous. But I did learn a new term from this one. A Northwest Arkansas school district disregarded athletes' sexual abuse of students according to a new federal lawsuit. This is the Huntsville School District in Arkansas. And this uh, arises because they said the district knew about this. They didn't do anything to stop it. And many young uh, boys were sexually assaulted because the freshmen's boys' basketball team engaged in what was called baptism and bean dipping. Baptism refers to basketball players restraining students while other places place their genitals on or in the faces of the restrained students, and bean dipping refers to a student forcibly placing their rectum and anus on the face and especially the nose of another student. Uh, at least 17 middle or high school players were victimized, and at least one student paid another student not to abuse him. At least two perpetrators have parents that work for the district, and one of the school board members is related to a perpetrator. And yes, uh, students were threatened. The lawsuit claims middle school basketball coach Caleb Houston was told about the abuses in October, but took no action to report the actions to his supervisors. Fucking unfucking believable. All right, guys, that's it. Bean dipping, baptizing. I can't handle it anymore. I'm out of here. Please follow me on social media. BK Actual on Instagram. Bravo Kilo Actual on Twitter. And by all means, guys, keep going to Patreon.com and look for BK Actual. It's the only way I can keep the podcast going. So I really appreciate it. Go to Patreon. Help make a pledge. It's the only way I can keep this shit ad-free and to show up here every week is if you guys go there. And I know there's tens of thousands of you listening. So fucking even if everyone you put a buck in, that would be awesome. I really appreciate it. That is going to do it for me. I will see you next week.